Welcome to episode 137, Elon Visits Netanyahu. Also, we can talk about that White House divide that I was talking about tonight in reference to uh, Israel and Gaza. There does seem to be some division that is happening. So let's go ahead and get started. I want to go ahead and bring in, it looks like Ashura, you are the first caller. So what is going on, Ashura? Let me go ahead and make sure I have my media volume turned on. All right, there we go. What's up, Ashura? Yeah, can you hear me? Because uh, you're, sound, you're sounding a little muffled. Oh, hold on. Actually, Abby sounds pretty good to me. Actually, Ashura, you sound a bit muffled, actually. Well, I'm walking, and basically there's an ice sheet on the ground, so... I'm trying not to fucking fall. Okay. Uh, did you say uh, you I'm shit gonna... on the ground? I shit. I shit. I didn't say I shit on the ground. What the fuck are you? Oh. <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard to hear you. <laughs> That's what it sound like. That's why I was like, what? <laughs> Is there any way, sure, you can put your mouth closer to your cell phone mic or cell phone? Wait, wait a minute. Wait. Can you just turn? Okay, there you go. Ah, oh, but then he stopped. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, okay. I can hear you. Oh, there you are. Okay. I turned it off. Yeah, oh, okay. I want to start with that Pierce Morgan's thing. Man, what a piece of shit. I, I've been watching Pierce Morgan ever since he got manhandled by Bassem Youssef on his show. And then he went to... I think he went to his basically to his home turf and got dismantled even further. And I feel like this guy's like a glutton for punishment. Anytime <laughs> he burns a, a pro-Palestinian on, he gets destroyed. And he keeps repeating the same bullshit. I I, I care about the Palestinians. Uh, I, I, I've, de- I've, I've denounced the Israel's bullshit. And then he comes every fucking time a right-winger is there. He basically kowtows to the right-wingers. He basically agrees. He, he agrees to all the name-calling, all the bullshit. Even the beheaded babies, he's still repeating that shit. Like he's repeating, repeating like think about the oh they're raping women. I'm like, you sure it's not the IDF doing that shit? The IDF would fucking gladly do that shit. I mean, there's an old video Nick showed it with CJ, old school IDF people saying, oh I raped a couple of fucking Palestinians, I blew torches at them, I fucking burned them alive. They laugh about it, and this guy's pretending like Israel is like a fucking saint or something. Yeah, but again, I think people have to realize that talk TV, again, is a right wing platform like that. That is Rupert Murdoch's show. So Rupert Murdoch has his hands in other things, not just Fox News. And so that's why you hear the talking points that you hear on there from Pierce Morgan. I was also told I haven't been able to claim um, receipts on this yet. So that's why I haven't mentioned it on the show. But I was also told that Pierce Morgan is also in cahoots with Zionist organizations as well. So I'm able to have receipts on that. I can show that uh, as well. I, you, you don't need receipts. You don't really need the receipts. You've, you've heard Pierce Morgan speak. You've had, look at how many times he's had a Palestinian on and he says, I agree with you, blah, blah, blah. And then he brings a right wing on and he goes full right wing with him. Like even mm-hmm. with Norm Ficklestein, the, 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 the interviews you, you showed, when I was like, why is the interview too, so fucking short? And immediately after Norm Finkelstein was was on, he brings up another motherfucker who basically starts lying on Norm Finkelstein. 
I heard about that and I felt like that was not fair. I felt like if that was going to happen, then that gentleman should have been on the show with Norm Finkelstein and they should have had the discussion together. But you, well, don't they- wait till, you don't wait till after your guest is gone and then you bring on someone to debunk all their talking points and they're not there to defend themselves. Well, that's because they were going to get, he was going to get destroyed because these mm-hmm. fucking Zionists can't fucking handle the truth. You even not Norm Finkelstein says, oh, what about if I, de- if I debate Ben Shapiro, you think Ben Shapiro is going to handle uh, Norm Finkelstein? Like, I, you know what? I would want, instead, instead of Norm Finkelstein uh, to debate Ben Shapiro, have Norm debate Rabbi Schmuck. I think if, if I remember correctly, I think Norm has mentioned that on Twitter and well, whoever's managing his Twitter account. Cause he just, that was one thing he did reveal in this interview was that, He's actually not on Twitter. So yeah, yeah. Um, the I know. Person, yeah, the person that's managing it. And I know he he's also been um, challenging Ben Shapiro to a debate, which Ben Shapiro has been ducking quite uh, quite well, I guess. I mean, the word around in the street is that Ben Shapiro only, uh, the, he only debates people who are wet behind the ears who don't know that much. That because that's how he fucking basically sees himself as a, a strong dude. He has to basically beat like young kids He'll never de- fucking debate somebody who fucking knows better more than him, because he'll get he'll get fucking humiliated. He'll get destroyed. This is why I said, you know, instead of Ben Shapiro, get Rabbi Schmuck on the fucking show. Have Rabbi Schmuck def- de- defend or uh, go against uh, Norm Finkelstein, because he will not be able to basically go after Norm Finkelstein, because Norm Finkelstein will destroy him, because Norm said it himself. He is the chronicle of uh, Palestine, the only one. So, like you said, when Rabbi Shmuley was saying all that bullshit uh, uh, with Jank Uger, you said that he missed a date. Norm Fukustin will fucking tell you every single date where Israel was massacring the Palestinians. Yep. You're right. You're right. I mean, I just saw on Twitter that Rabbi Shmuley was on some, um, some call or a video conference or whatever with RFK Jr. and he's sitting right beside RFK Jr. on your uh, parent pill. Again, or is it, or is it the past video? I think this is recent. Oh, God um, damn it. What the fuck is he doing with that guy? He- yeah, it's, it's I, I don't know. If people don't see this for what this really is, what people got to understand is, again, like I said, I think that RFK Jr. is controlled and compromised. And I think that, I told you, I think that he was bought and paid for and he's seeking the support of the Israeli uh, lobby. That's why he's doing this. This is exactly why. Like, it's just that's why I said you look real clown shit to me if you're telling me that you agree with um, reparations for black people and then you look at his reparations plan and it's basically just some fucking tax credits and let's help black people get loans bullshit. But you don't want to, you're against, you publicly are against giving black people cash reparations. And then at the same time, you're a fucking Zionist. Man, get the fuck out of here, man. This is why I go ahead, man. It's calling. And by the way, I got a couple of pop up pop ups when I opened Colin. I was like, "What the fuck is going with the with the Colin app?" And then it's like, "Oh, Colin was basically owned by uh, well, it's basically owned now by Rumble." In the first video chat I saw, you know, video chat is with that PVD guy, Pat Buchanan, I think his name is. Mm-hmm. So, are you going to start doing live video calls? I don't know because again, this app is supposed to be disappearing. You know, no, and I don't know if you guys noticed, but if you look at the homepage now, you know they only the only uh, category that they have on the homepage now is 
the trending shows, which is interesting because most of those people don't even do call in anymore, but they removed the top shows. Yeah, and I, was, I was in the top show, but they removed that. So now you just see the trending shows, which doesn't actually reflect, reflect the numbers. Okay. Because the popular You're the only popular show left. Yeah, because the because when I opened the app, I was like, "What the fuck? Am I not, it's not showing your channel or anything like that." It says like, "Oh, Colin is still the same, Colin." So it's owned by Rumble now, so everything's still the same. No, they removed those other categories because basically they left all the big names under trending shows and top shows. They removed. So it's like YouTube all over again. Yeah, but I, mean, I, but I was told they're not even going to keep this app, though. That's the thing. So. Uh, are you, I don't know, um, are you not afraid to talk about apartheid on YouTube? Am I afraid to talk about apartheid on YouTube? Yeah, because there, there's, a, there's a thing going on. There's an app that's going on. I think I saw it on Twitter that says which product, you can just tap the app on the product and basically it'll tell you which product you should just be uh, boycott, divest it. No, I, I talk about apartheid on, on my show. I talked okay. about apartheid tonight. Oh, not really apartheid. I, I'm, I'm not apartheid. I mean the BDS thing. Sorry. No, I've talked about BDS as well. Okay. Because since they're going hard at it now, because they don't want people to say BDS anymore. So people made an app that tells you exactly which product is, you know, Israel is basically making it or in part partnering with Israel or whatever company is partnering with Israel. Mm. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting. Like it's just I like I I said before, if we just follow the money, then we can see what is causing a lot of this, and we got to think about who owns all this stuff. Like the whole Elon Musk thing for me, again, like Elon Musk got threatened from advertisers. Some of them have already pulled their advertising apparently, and that's what this is really about. How are you gonna go listen to one side but not the other side? You gonna go into Israel and be like, oh my god. This is catastrophic. What's happening in Gaza is a thousand times worse and you won't step foot over there, you know? So it, again, it's it's the propaganda. Yeah, it's, it's like uh, when you said, what is he doing down there? I was like, why is he down, doing that anyways? Is he going to you know, get rid of Starlink or some shit like that? Or Money. is he going to basically provide weapons? I Money. don't know. I like, why are you down there? He's down there because of money. He's down there because he needs the advertisers. Like apparently, you know, Twitter was in pretty bad shambles um, when Jack left. So they need the advertising just to even try to break even. And when advertisers start to pull, well, then, you know, there kind of goes the platform. So like I said, don't be surprised if Elon Musk starts censoring pro-Palestinian content on Twitter. They're already suppressed, but don't be surprised if he starts to censor it. I thought he was already making money when he said that uh, we all had to go on Twitter blue. I thought he was already going to, I thought that was a moneymaker. That's peanuts compared to what advertisers pay. Okay. So he doesn't want to be live on peanuts. Peanuts to him as, as a, as a he, he always has Tesla and shit. Yeah. And, uh, oh my God, Bernie Sanders, what a fucking cuck. I mean, people just need to call Bernie Sanders for what he fucking is. Uh, he, he's a fucking Zionist himself. He's a Zionist himself. He's a racist. I mean, Bernie Sanders proved he was a racist back then with the crime bill. He only voted against war once, but he's always been pro-war. Give whatever the fuck uh, the establishment needs. Bernie gives them sanctions. Bernie gives them the weapons. 
I mean, Bernie Sanders, he, you can see him go after uh, Netanyahu. I feel it's like this red-blue game that it goes in the States where it's like Democrats hate Republicans, Republicans hate Democrats. So that's why when you, when you see him talk about Netanyahu, you would think that he'd be pro-Palestinian, but he's not. I mean, that bullshit he said about Israel, We, we Israel is our friend. I'm like, oh, is that why you're not so fucking hard on Israel? You, you'll go after Netanyahu because he's basically like, uh, he's catnip. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, well, I, like I said, like, it's all about the, the bottom line. And so people really got to understand Elon Musk actually posted this document on Twitter. This was a couple of days ago where he was being targeted. I forget the name of the group, but he was being targeted because of, I guess, a tweet that he had actually posted. It was a reply to someone else's tweet a while ago. This is before October 7th. And that group that came after Elon is saying that this is um, anti-Semitic. So they actually filed like a, um, a legal action, a legal action against him. Like, I'm not kidding. Well, um, over well, a, reply, a reply that he made to someone else's tweet and they said it was anti-Semitic. Then he actually told everyone on Twitter, like, guys, please fight back against this. We got to push back against this and help me out. No, why, why are we? That's the other thing. And, and the, the people who are like Elon Musk stands, who are like, yes, we'll do. We'll help you. The fuck is wrong with these people? Like Elon I mean, Musk is a billionaire. He doesn't care about you. I mean, I, I don't know why he's saying that. Oh, my God, they got to help. I, I, that's news to me when you say that shit. Like, he needs them to help them, but he owns the fucking platform. He could just get rid of those people coming after him on that platform. No, this isn't, they weren't, the people that, it was an organization, like, this looked like, if I remember correctly, I'll have to check it again, but if I remember correctly, this looked like a legal document. It looks like okay. he was being issued some type of cease and desist. That's what it looked like. Oh, but that's some bullshit. I mean, don't people look up what the word anti-Semitic is anymore? Just look it up. He could basically use that. His lawyers could just look up what the word anti-Semitic means, or Semitic in this case, and make an argument around that. It's just bullshit attacking him. But, I mean, the guy, they, but, but, the, but the thing is, sure, they know. They know what all these things mean. It's just that, again, when it comes to the Israeli lobby, not many people are willing to fight back and push back against that. And so Elon Musk is basically saying that, you know, he doesn't want them to ruin, I guess, or try to ruin his career. And so, and this is, they've done this to other people before. Like they did this to Cynthia McKinney. Um, well, one question. When did b being a billionaire is a career? Well, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, I mean he's, he's, he's a businessman. I mean, it, it's fucking stupid. And I'll just, I'll do the, the last one, which is, yeah, the Black uh, the black Caucus. I'm like, come on, really? I mean, now, the, the, I wonder if the Black Caucus is going to basically grow a pair of balls or, yeah, grow a pair of balls against them. Because uh, I don't think, I think they're all bought. Like, they're going to they're gonna basically go against the squad or whatever it's left of them. Uh, they're, they're going away. And remember when I told you Ilhan, Ilhan Omar was... Uh, she was the one that was the weakest link, and you told me it was either Bowman or Rashida. And I was right. Rashida's safe. AOC's safe. Bowman's going to be safe, but Bowman, 
He's he, he's a paid shill, so he's okay. It's basically um, there are they already made attack ads against Jamal Bowman, by the way. APAC has. Yeah, because when uh, when last night the uh, dude dissidus was on with uh, CJ, uh, basically uh, Keaton was saying I was writing a chat because you basically did a a, a, a live stream about this that Jamal Bowman does get paid by APAC. And I was screaming that. J Street. J yeah. Street. He gets paid by APAC. I'm like, why would APAC want to get rid of him? No, he doesn't get paid by. These are two different things. He All doesn't right. get paid by APAC. He gets paid by J Street. So J Street is one of the donors. And what they do is like, for him, it's individual donations. So there are people that work for J Street, whatever their position may be, and they donate it to Jamal Bowman. Remember, Jamal Bowman also got into trouble with DSA when he made that trip. He was trying to make that trip to Israel to see Netanyahu. That was a big no-no for DSA because you're not supposed to start to basically entertain that as a DSA member. You're not supposed to side with the state of Israel. You're supposed to support BDS and the Palestinian uh, movement. But you see what's happening now. They're coming after Jamal Bowman anyway. I thought DSA basically flipped the script. <laughs> They were, they're now pro-Israel, pro-establishment, everything. No, they're not pro-Israel. Like that, okay. that has remained firm. That is a okay. part of, that is, that's a part of like their principles. Because I know when they, when the squad did something and they called them out and all of a sudden everybody turned on them on Twitter or some shit. And they had to basically say, they they had to walk it back on some weak bullshit. Yeah, but that, that was in reference to the railroad strike. That wasn't about uh, Israel and Palestine. Okay. And do you think uh, the Black Caucus that the only way for them not to get, uh, not to get basically put against a bunch of candidates against them, they're gonna have to basically target the squad. It's gonna be the CBC versus the squad. Well, some of the squad members are CBC members, so it will be the older school, um, the more establishment. Democrats that in the CBC that go against them, like Jim Clyburn, I can see him going against them. It'll be those those members. But yeah, I think they'll have no problem doing that. So they're not all bought? Minus the, the squad, the younger people. What do you mean? No, I thought they were all bought, except for the squad and a couple of people in the squad. I thought most of them were all bought. They, they are. Okay. That's what I'm they're saying. All, okay. Like, okay. they're not gonna, I don't see them coming out to defend the squad. Remember, they were against Ayanna Presley when she ran against, um, oh, what's his name? Um, Kamado, uh, he was the guy, he was the incumbent in the Congressional Black Caucus. And, and he's a white guy, by the way. So I lived okay. in Ayanna Presley's district when Wait. that case happened. The Congressional Black Caucus went, actually went against Ayanna Presley and because they were trying to support the incumbent who is white. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird. I, I thought there was like, <laughs> when you put that thumbnail, I thought Jim Clyburn somehow, one of his fish fell off the, the, the grill and somehow he grew a spine against Joe Biden for Palestine. Yeah. <laughs> No, but I mean they're they're all targets at this point in time. They're all uh, targets. I mean, if there are some of them are safe, they'll fuck it. If you got sell long time sellouts, like uh, like Clyburn, it's okay. Did you see the shit about um? And I'm gonna finish. Did you see the shit about uh, uh what's his name? Uh, Sharpton, Sharpton, and 
in that cop that's currently being uh, investigated in New York. Uh, he was his bodyguard. You know who I'm talking about. You talked about him, Eric Adams. I did not. What did Al Sharpton say this time? Well, they had some, it was some weird shit. It was on CJ's show. I think it was Monday. And he interviewed him. It looked like a PR campaign to save his ass. For Eric Adams? Yeah. Uh, Sharpton was interviewing him, but it was like, it looked like a PR campaign to save him. At the same time, these two go back a long time. Apparently he was his bodyguard. That's interesting. Yeah. And Sharpton is himself like the CJ was talking. CJ said like Sharpton is not really the type of, he's not a leader, but they keep calling all these people, these, these people that marched in the civil rights era leaders in the black community. But these guys seem like followers, bootlegs, if you will. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, Eric Adams has a lot of, he has a lot of accusations against him right now. Like it's not just this issue with the Turkish uh, consulate. There's also sexual assault allegations against Eric Adams now as well. I think Eric Adams is starting to see what happens when you speak out against Democrat president and Democrat leadership because he actually spoke out against Joe Biden in reference to handling the migrant issue. Well, it's their own damn fault. It's their own damn fault. And uh, I hear that the bill, the, the, the thing they used against Adams, it was supposed to go after Trump. <laughs> And now it's backfiring in people's faces everywhere. I'm like, you know, it's kind of like poetic justice in a sense. Yep. Uh, hey, this is anything can happen. I mean, but, you know, I, I don't think that Eric Adams was expecting all these things because like every week it's been something different in reference to Eric Adams. Well, um, well, if they could, if they could use that against Eric Adams, maybe we should now call what's her name, uh, the the woman that's living in Russia, the one who accused Joe Biden. Maybe she can use that now. They didn't want to give a fuck about her. Now she could use it. Uh, forgot her name. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. She lives in Russia. Tara Reid accused Joe. Biden. Tara Reid. Yeah, maybe Tara Reid can now use it. I mean, apparently it's no big deal now because the thing was being used to go after Donald Trump. Now they're using it for Eric Adams. I guess it's fair game now. I think they uh, even carefully crafted the law so that it it only applies to like certain time spans. So like it, it wouldn't even apply to Biden, believe it or not. Tara Reid said, and I'll, I'll have to double check this, but she did tweet something on Twitter that said like she has something, she does have news coming up in reference to the Biden situation. And she says, stay tuned. So uh, we'll see. Uh, and I know I said I said last, but I'm really going to hang up this time. You notice every time Biden goes somewhere and people call him out, you notice there's always somebody to protect him. It was the Easter Bunny. Now it's a bunch of fucking these people that I, I hate them in Christmas. They're the ones who fucking sing at your door. <laughs> when you come at the door, they fucking sing. They, they ring the bells or they, they're the ones who sit around asking you to donate into a pot. Apparently, those people tried to protect protect Joe Biden when they were singing, Biden, Biden, you can't hide. We charge you with genocide. I'm like, bro, whoever basically made that made that tune is catchy. I'm not. Are, you, are you talking about, um, I'm trying to remember. Are you talking about the people that stand outside of the stores? Salvation the Army? Yeah. yeah, those type of people. They're, they're two types of them. There's the, there's the ones that sing. They sing the Christmas shit, and then there's the ones who stand outside and they basically ring a bell for you to donate money to them. It's either one of those two people. I thought it was one of those people that basically were protecting Biden 
Because when Biden was drifting during Easter, the Easter bunny had to tell him to go the other way to protect him. And then you got these people protecting Biden from his, well, his constituents, the American people, because they, they were calling him out. You know what I heard they'll, they'll do like in the old folks home is they'll 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 make a, a circular path so that it goes out a, out a door and then it comes back in another door. And then when one of the old people gets riled up and decides they want to go home, they'll they'll say, OK, you know, you can go that go out that door and, and walk home and the old person will, will walk and they'll go on the circular path and then halfway they'll, they'll forget about what they were doing and then they'll they'll come back and just come back into the nursing home and then be all happy because they forgot what they left for so maybe they need to to give them some circular paths <laughs> but then one thing i wanted to say is when we're getting these so-called controversies or these things like about um, APAC going after the Congressional Black Caucus or the squad or Rashida Tlaib getting uh, censured or, you know, the, these perf- don't like, I'm, I'm trying to say like, don't fall for it. Like don't put too much into it. I mean, all those things that are happening, it's, it's the show, it's the theater. It's like, it's like in the Wizard of Oz. It's like the show so that you look at that and get all worked up about what's there and don't look at the man behind the curtain. You know, and the guy behind the curtain is the billionaires, is the mega corporations that are that are really running everything and the corruption. And this other stuff is the stuff that they get all the peasants to get all of us to get all chattering about and get all worked up about and distracted about. And you notice what never gets really talked about, really dealt with the real systemic corruption that's, that's really running everything. So I, I would just caution, especially those of us out here on the left to not get too caught up in the theatrical distraction theater, <laughs> the, theatrical theater. But, um, and remember it's a show to distract you. Like when they, when, when, when you, when the squad starts talking about the billionaires and, and, um, uh, and fixing the constitution to fix money and speech and when they and and when they start holding up bills in Congress um, to fight corruption, to stop the corruption and the money, you know, then you can maybe start taking them seriously. Until then, it's all it's all a bullshit show. Yeah. Right. Okay, I do want to bring in um, Notori. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Or go ahead. Um, or go ahead, Jonathan. I think you unmuted. Thanks, Ashera. Yeah, sorry. I, I gotta, I gotta jump shortly because I'm in the grocery store parking lot. I, uh, the, uh, the official thing that you were talking about earlier, uh, as I understand it was the EU tech regulatory body. It was basically threatening to shut down Twitter in the European Union. And Germany has been particularly draconian in passing all these new, uh, censorship laws. Like, like they'll arrest people for trying to, uh, you know, hold any kind of like public demonstration in favor, like in solidarity with Palestine and, uh, and so on and so forth. And they're like trying to seriously crack down in the EU on, on that kind of stuff, apparently with no self-awareness of their own history. Um, but that was the big EU thing that, that he was freaked out about. The trip to Israel was a combination of, uh, the ADL and, um, and like 
organizations like Media Matters and some of the uh, pro-Israel media organizations like uh, like Camera and um, HonestReporting.com and all those, basically they more or less uh, threatened to, and they've already had a mass, you know, they've already engineered a mass exodus of his advertisers uh, over you know, the accusations of anti-Semitism, but they basically run a protection racket. So essentially, if you do something they deem anti-Semitic, which from their perspective is mostly anything anti-Israel, um, you know, like they did with Roger Waters, they got his record label to, con- to cancel his next album. Uh, they got a mass exodus of advertisers. Obviously, he was uh, deep in the hole and worried about his finances. So they're like, well, we can make all this go away. You just have to take a trip to Israel, talk to Netanyahu, go on this tour, tell us how sorry you were about your previous posts and how you're going to do better in the future mm. on cracking down on, like, this is their MO. This is what they do. And the fact that, um, you know, the richest man in the world, on paper at least, was such an easy pushover to that stuff instead of, you know, doubling down like, you know, Donald Trump, who has maybe like one fiftieth of his net worth, if that, okay, Donald Trump would have launched a, a freaking slap lawsuit and, you know, tied these people up in court for weeks, months, years, whatever. Um, but yeah, he just, he just bowled right over to try and, oh, please make the advertisers stop leaving. And that's what that was about. It was basically just their mafia-like intimidation tactics. They used it on loads and loads of people. Like, like I said, that's how they got um, you know the record label to drop Roger Waters' next album. And it's how the whole system operates, right? So it's, it's of a piece. So, of course, he's going to go with the system and not Bucket because that's the system that made him. Yeah, it's SOP for, you know, the, it was, it's as old as, you know, the McCarthy era blacklists, um, you know, Red Scare blacklists, Hollywood blacklists, that kind of thing. It's the same kinds of techniques that were in use in the 1940s and 50s. Uh, they are weaponizing and, in that way. Another way to think of it is that if he, if Elon were the type of person who would buck against that, he wouldn't be where he is. Right. Exactly. That's what I was trying to explain to people earlier tonight. Like, this is what people have to understand. That's why he's where he's at. Like, think about it. Like, because think about this, guys. Don't you guys think that, like, someone like Norm Finkelstein would be invited into spaces that he cannot get into, you know, if if he had gone that path? Like, if, if Norm Finkelstein went in the opposite direction, and let's say he was more like RFK and he was, you know, talking, spewing that same rhetoric, like those, those Zionist talking points. Don't you think that Norm Finkelstein would have been able to go even further than where he is now? Because I don't even think I have to go back and check. I don't think uh, Norm Finkelstein is allowed to enter Israel anymore. So that's something to think about. He's not, he definitely said that he's not like he. He, apparently, he's been banned and, uh, and unbanned a couple of times before, but this time he's pretty sure he's perma-banned. Interesting. Interesting. So All right. The, the good news is 
it's getting harder for them to to manage the narrative and keep the propaganda in place. We're lots of people talking about this. We've got protests. I, I feel like something's breaking, something's cracking here in those walls. I, I hear you. Okay, Natori, and then I'll bring in Brady. Natori, you just have to hit the uh, unmute button. Hello. What's going on, Natori? Yes, I wanted to talk about Musk. I mean, Elon Musk. Yes, I, it's already happening, and I just can't stand him. Which I already knew he was a liar anyway. But it's like before, <laughs> it's like before I text on Twitter, it sends me this um thing about what I can't say. <laughs> everybody get it, so I have to rearrange my um words or put symbols in it. But I see other people saying nigger and everything else under the sun. Mm-hmm. So, but I can't tell the truth and go out the politicians. Yeah, it's, and, and we've complained about this before uh, in reference to Twitter or X, whatever we're calling it nowadays, that um, left voices are heavily, heavily suppressed uh, on Twitter. And that hasn't, you know, improved since, Elon has taken over. It's still an issue. Yeah, I didn't even know he went and um, talked to. Yeah, I didn't even know um he went and talked to um the Israel guy. Oh, Did that's I... not that's not me. Sorry. Yeah, you didn't know he went to talk to Netanyahu. Mm-mm. Until you um said something about it tonight. Yes, ma'am. He was there. He was there. And I think a lot of people can see past it, but it's just, I just want everybody to see what is really happening, why these things, and not just what is really happening, but why these things are happening. And that, again, here we have someone who claimed they were all pro, you know, free speech, et cetera. And then you guys see that's, this is not the case. Like all it takes is for, you know, when this position changes to, to, to Israel, you see that's not the case, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy to me, but then, like, when you said something about it, I went to Twitter and, like, typed in, and it's, like, all over Twitter, but it's still some people praising him about free speech. Of course, they're going to praise him because he letting them speak, the um conservatives or whatever you want to call them. I told people that Elon was doing this, he's basically, he's he's protecting right-wing voices mm-hmm. on Twitter. I just wanna let you guys know, cause I know not all of you are on um, Twitter, but he's protecting right-wing voices on Twitter. He's elevating them. They're not being suppressed. It's almost like his response to the Twitter files was, okay, the Democratic party tried to suppress voices on Twitter. It's almost like his response was to then in return do the opposite, suppress the left voices and, you know, promote right-wing voices. And that that's really what's been happening. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And it's like, because at first I'm like, at first I was like, why is they praising? Like I saw in the message, I'm like, why is they um, praising him? Like still talking about free speech and stuff. But then I went on their page and saw who they were. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I see why. 
Customer. Yeah, most of most of those accounts are right wing accounts, you guys. Like if you and again, like you guys know everyone's welcome to discuss on the show. Like everyone, all different political ideologies. But I'm just letting you know, most of those accounts are right wing accounts. They're not left accounts. Like and some of the ones that kind of came out of nowhere after Elon took over the platform that all of a sudden had like five hundred thousand subscribers, like that Mario guy, Mario Nafel. He came out of nowhere, you guys. He didn't have that many followers. So Elon elevates him. Um, even when Elon said, yes, we need more journalism, independent journalism, I promote that on Twitter, yada, yada. He's promoting the right wing accounts. So like, obviously someone like Tucker is a big name. He's going to get a lot of attention. But what I'm saying is the left wing accounts that are doing independent journalism, like Nico House, for example, those accounts are heavily suppressed. So he's not... They're not talking about everyone. And what they have done is they have used the censorship issue to give people the impression that they're going to be open to free speech on all sides, but they're not. They're only entertaining like the right wing or the right wing adjacent voices. And the same thing with the presidential conversations. If you notice, Elon Musk has only had Twitter spaces for those that are either on the right or RFK Jr. Mm -hmm. he hasn't hosted I was just about to say that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he hasn't hosted a Twitter face, a space for, um, uh, what's her face? Uh, Marianne, Cornel West, Jill Stein. He hasn't. So it's, it's not like, I just want people to understand who are not on Twitter. It's not like he then came in and decided to be fair across the board. He didn't. He basically came in and decided to give more leeway to right-wing accounts. So he's not being being fair across the board. And so these the billionaire club people and I, I keep bringing them up because I want people to pay attention to who these people really are. Bill Ackman, David Sachs, who started this app calling Bill Ackman, David Sachs. Um, David Sachs actually had a controversy a couple of years ago because he was basically saying that date rape wasn't rape. Look it up. You can Google it and you can find this information. Like this is not hidden. Um, and, you know, RFK Jr. is not a billionaire, but he's hella up there in millionaire status. RFK Jr. last time I saw is worth over $500 million. Like these guys, the guys who po host that All In podcast, uh, the PDCB or whoever these guys are, like these guys are all in the same club. Now, don't get me wrong. Like they may have like, they may let in like one, minority voice here and there to make it seem like they're being fair. Everybody gonna have, like a lot of these, these kind of outlets, they gonna try to have a token, don't get me wrong. So they gonna bring in somebody every now and then to make it seem like they're being fair. But the reality is they are gonna look out for their bottom line. They're gonna look out for their financial interests and their financial interests don't actually suit our interest. That's the thing. Yes, and I feel like the um that um Twitter thing, like how he was calling out like what the previous owner was doing of um X, and how he was. I'm glad that happened, but it was to me it was like a cover for what he was going to do because I already knew he was he is going to protect his money. Yeah, and this is why you're not seeing them advocate for things like um universal health care, for example. Because again, like they don't want, 
that that's not something that helps protect their bottom line, especially if they have any type of investments with big pharma. So then you got that, right? So you have to know like who these people are to really understand. And then you follow the money and you get to see the receipts and you see like who they're in bed with when it comes to financial transactions. Like I said about like Rupert Murdoch tonight, which I think some people may not have been aware but that show that Pierce Morgan hosts, Talk TV, that is owned by Rupert Murdoch, the same guy who owns Fox News. So, and he supports Israel financially. So the all this stuff is connected. And I think that if more people did this, and I think some people don't because it may it may expose some people that they may be friends with, right? So some people may not want to go down that road, but for me it's just like whatever like you know because the thing is is like just be true about what you are and where it's coming from because i don't i I don't like when people say that they're independent and they're not really independent right if you get if if a billionaire is giving you money you're not into i'm sorry if they're giving you money to fund your project you're not independent Mm-hmm. It's two last things I want to say. Did you and JB cover the Diddy um the Diddy situation? We are covering him and Jamie Fox on Thursday. Oh, I'm ready for that. I thought I missed it, but I'm glad y'all doing it. And the last thing, Bernie Sanders. I know he old as fuck, but when I saw that clip, I just wanted to slap the fuck out of him. <laughs> But that's all I want to say. <laughs> okay, Tori. All right, let me go ahead and bring in uh, Brady. Brady, you're on the mic. You just have to unmute. Hello, microphone check. Um, what's up? What's going on? I've actually landed an interview with Jasmine Sherman of the Unicorn Party this next Wednesday. So if anyone has any pertinent questions or requests for jasmine you can get them in via me this wednesday and just wanted to throw out that um her camp their campaign is really cool because a lot of the things that uh i kind of thought we should be doing they're already doing um they have a really good mutual aid network established already and solid uh platform um and availability you know just the fact that i was able to go online schedule an interview and bam like there there they are they're they're ready to rock this wednesday it's just 30 minutes but i mean there's a lot that can be said in 30 minutes and so um taking anyone's questions or um requests for jasmine sherman of the unicorn party and then i'm still working with my friend um jeff horn from democracy revolution we're making a digital platform for democracy. And anyone that's interested in working on that project with us is invited to our meetings on Thursdays here on call-in. And we could use more hands on deck for that one. And an interesting thing happened with me and Rabbi Litvin, this um, Kentucky, this rabbi from Kentucky, Kentucky rabbi, right? I had an interesting debate with him Sorry, I had an interesting debate with him, and um, I ended up getting these death threats from some of his followers. It was like, uh, uh, 
like they, they told me that they were putting me on a 10 year kill list. And, um, uh, like I, I ended up talking to him on TikTok the other day and I was like, yeah, man, like some of your followers put me on a 10 year kill list. And he was like, Oh, my followers would never ever do that in a thousand years. Um, so, um, I thought it would be really unfortunate for his narrative and the whole narrative of what's going on right now. If somebody were to, I don't know, openly debate him in one of his rooms in TikTok and then record evidence of one of his followers, putting them, threatening them, putting them on a kill list, that kind of thing. Um, I have one recording journalist. Um, I'll have to dig them up. But it should be relatively easy for someone else to do the same thing, I'm thinking. And so that's just an open mission to anyone who's interested um, to kind of expose this radical rabbi from Kentucky who's uh, being a kind of observable terrorist here in America. Um, when it comes to very simple things like free speech, what happened with me is I asked him what Semitic meant. I'm like, what does Semitic even mean? And they told me that that was an anti-Semitic question. They got really mad at me. And that's when I got the death threat. So it should be relatively easy for anyone to kind of do the same thing. <laughs> it's just kind of like a weird thing that happened to me. I felt like worth mentioning. And um, also worth mentioning is the master blocking culture on TikTok. I just got another TikTok ban tonight trying to have a debate about I was just trying to explain the evidence supporting Joe Biden being a pedophile. Well, someone basically tricked me into it. They're like, wait, 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 wait a minute. What is the evidence of Joe Biden being a pedophile? And I'm like, well, here it is. And I kind of started going through it all. And they used that as a means to get me blocked and kicked out of the live. So what they're doing on TikTok now is this very sneaky thing where they, they trick you into saying something you're not allowed to say on TikTok and then they cancel you for it. So Heads up on that whole culture. And that's why I think that Colin is actually so important because certain debates like debates about religion and debates about Palestine in particular cannot even be had on TikTok or YouTube in like a real way. I feel like Colin and like kind of independent, maybe, um, maybe stuff on Rumble. Um, but, uh, I know even Rumble was censoring a lot of material. And that was critical of Zientology. And well, thank um, you for, I just want to say that was, uh, I think because Peter Thiel um, is in control of uh, Rumble and yeah, um, he's intimately second. connected to the Jeffrey Epstein network, as well as one, a bunch of second. other like deep state policing networks and stuff um, that we know of. And um, um, so I think there really is. Okay, Brady, I'm bringing you back, but I was trying to, I was trying to interject and I couldn't. I don't know if you could hear me or not. Okay, I'm bringing you back in. What I was trying to say is that thank you for saying that um, about Rumble because I don't think everyone's aware, but like when people say that Rumble doesn't have any censorship issues, that's actually not true. Uh, Rumble has actually censored videos and content as well. So I just, I do want to just, you know, let you guys know that that is not true, that you can just say whatever you want on Rumble. Go ahead, uh, Brady. Go ahead and unmute. Yeah, sorry. I think I had a little technical glitch there. I don't know where I glitched oh. up. But, um, yeah, I was just saying that uh, people who are critical of Zientology were um, kicked off of Rumble 
and banned and censored from Rumble. So being critical of Israel or Zientology in general will get you booted from Rumble even. And so there really is an importance, I think, in digital debate, the culture surrounding digital debate. And I think it's really important that we start having independent proxy debates, you know, um, on independent platforms where we can speak freely and um that's why Colin is so important because we can this is one of those places where there are no rules here like you can say the r word you can say unalived you know all those things all these weird ways we have to censor our speech on other platforms you can just openly do here on Colin there are no mods here whatsoever and so um i think we need another platform like Colin in case something happens to Colin and it goes away we need to be working on building the next version of that um, ahead of time, you know? And so basically that's what we're doing with democracy revolution and um, trying to build an open source, you know, transparent version of Colin. that's not going to be policed by the tone police, you know? And um, it, I want to mention, it's really effective when we ratio people like Ben Shapiro and Tulsi Gabbard just got ratioed online and the vocal response of just in the comment section on their public uh, platforms is incredibly effective at shaping at least their public opinion. And so keep up the work, you know, um, ratioing people online and just digitally disagreeing in the comment section. People say they don't read the comments, but they really do. And it really does sway social opinion. And um, just to yeah, leave you with a couple breaking spell terms, I think Zientology and Donald Worshipper are helpful terms to kind of break people's um, mental fog that they're in right now. And a lot of people like to say that we have Trump derangement syndrome. And I like to tell them that they have Donald Worshipper syndrome in response. And that's usually pretty effective. And uh, just a couple interview requests. Um, Derek Bros lost his run for mayor of Houston, but I still think he's worth interviewing. Really cool guy. He's kind of running something called the Freedom Cell Network, which is a really nice mutual aid network. And uh, Roger Waters would be really cool interview at this point in time. And I would also like to see more of Dr. Shiva again. I thought that was a really particularly interview. I'd like to hear more from that guy and, and know a little bit more about him as well. And that's about it. And I'd just like to uh, promote the idea to you to maybe host independent proxy debates here on Colin, if you can, between candidates like Jill Stein, Dr. West, even though we want them to work together. You know, I think it'd be cool if they had a debate together. And um, this is a great platform for it. Um, and so, yeah, if you can, anyone can organize something like that, that would just be hugely effective. Any kind of independent debate online in a free speech oasis like Colin, where we can speak openly about any kind of topic, uh, take questions from the audience quickly and easily, um, have feedback, all that good jazz, you know, I think is uh, incredibly useful right now. And I would love to see it in any capacity. So anyone interested in the mission? Um, I could do something like make that on YouTube. I, yeah, I can do something like that on YouTube. I wouldn't do it on Colin just because, again, like I they keep saying they're going to get rid of this app. Um, but Roger Meadows did send me a couple of, and Roger's going to kill me, but I'm going to have to ask you to email those things to me because I can't find them in the DM. He did send me other app suggestions for uh, people to call into, uh, you know, once they get rid of this, this jazz. But um, I don't want to do locals because again, like I said, the viewers have to pay. And I don't believe that people should have to pay to talk to you. You know, that 
That sounds like a politician. That sounds like something a politician would do. Did you pay? Did you pay to get into this event? <laughs> That's what makes you the absolute realist. And we appreciate you big time because like I got car trouble I got to work on this week. You know, I can't pay to play politics this week. You know, I got to work on my car. So that's awesome. And yeah, we all appreciate it big time. Yeah, on behalf of everybody, we appreciate you showing up here big time. Um, uh, I'll say that, yeah, seeing one of those debates would be great. Um, I'll pass the joint. I have one more thing to add. Oh, yeah, the nitinol engine. Um, so uh, it's really unfortunate that I didn't get to speak and that they, they ended up blocking me before I ended up getting questions for Jasmine Sherman in, on TikTok. But I was like, dude, I didn't even get to my main point before they blocked me. But I was trying to ask for questions for Jasmine when they lured me into that trap and I got my TikTok ban. But uh, I'm also interested in something called nitinol engines, which is a nickel titanium alloy which uh, they've been using to make heat engines from this engines that run on excess heat. And apparently this is one of those things the government is trying to keep quiet. And it's something that we could use to replace our dependence on oil, which is a, a, at least apparently a motivator for this uh, conflict in Palestine. I've noticed that a lot of American opinion is heavily swayed by gas prices. People are willing to throw kids on the other side of the planet under the bus so fast for gas prices, you know, all they have to do is justify a war with gas prices and uh, dang near half the country is silently okay with it. You know what I mean? So anything we can do to break our dependence on oil, oil boycott. Okay. Of any kind, right, you know, be highly effective. All right. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brady. I'll check about that debate thing. I could probably get every candidate to come on and debate, except for again, RFK wouldn't do, isn't going to do it. He doesn't want to actually be challenged on um, Israel and Palestine. Let's go ahead and bring in uh, Noel, and then I'll bring in Jay David. What's going on, Noel? Good evening, everybody. Um, and Sabrina, I saw some of the pictures you had from when you were in New York, and they really looked fabulous. Oh, thank um, you. Yeah, I put the thumbs up on them. You know, <laughs> when I consider like the total totality of, you know, the commentary from um, Dr. Finkelstein to, or Finkelstein to what's going on broadly with, you know, Elon Musk and this and that, I just get the impression that these are some really scary times because what we see is you know i just saw this post on facebook today where they were saying 250 financial employers and hedge fund managers are saying they're not going to hire anyone who participated in any of the pro-palestine um movements this and that and i'm thinking now you're weaponizing employment and you know although that really is the american way what we see is the people with the most are just willing to do the most to control these narratives and suppress what people are really trying to put forward. You know, what people people's really instinctual feelings are about what they're seeing in the world, 
they're just suppressing it. They're just turning away. I just listened to um, a public access presentation at the city of Cleveland where there were public comments to the um, Cleveland City Hall and these people were very much pro-Palestinian and they were making their voices known because one of the adjacent um, cities to Cleveland is called Beechwood and Beechwood is heavily, um, has a, a very strong Jewish presence, but it is a part of the 11th district and they, the city of Beechwood or some group in Beechwood sent some information to the city of Cleveland, basically petitioning them to support, you know, Israel and this and that. And it was just a symbolic gesture, but many of the um, city councilors in the city of Cleveland jumped right on board. And so you had these pro-Palestinian people who actually live in the city of Cleveland who were expressing their outrage. And it's just, you know, the power of you know the Jewish lobby in its various iterations, it's just you know kind of frightening to me, especially the way they have weaponized the term anti-Semitic. I mean, you can't even say things that appear to be critical of the Zionist movement or Israel in general without being labeled. And that it's not just a matter of they don't like to hear what you have to say, but they go beyond that to, you know, take jobs and su suppress speech. And I'm saying, ooh, that's the, that has got to be the most undemocratic approach. But it seems to be carrying sway when you see them able to, you know, in broad stroke, move a Elon Musk to, to almost kneel at the throne of Netanyahu. And it's just like, you know, I just can't imagine that type of power, you know, towards the use of just trying to control a narrative and people feel what they feel and they're saying what they say. But I feel like we're either on the cusp of some type of fundamental change in the way we are governed or there's going to be this really big blowback and people are going to just be suppressed, oppressed, the, you know, there is no real freedom of speech. You can't even get real discourse going. And it's just all kind of frightening to me. You know, it's yeah. just kind of disconcerting on a, a certain fundamental level. I'm like, what is this really? You know, and the thing that's making it so interesting is a lot of the protest has been led by the Jewish Voices for Peace. Right. Who have an, a, a type of immunity to the anti-Semitic thing. So in the absence of being able to label them as anti-Semites, you see all this other stuff going on, like we're not going to hire people who participate in this and that. And it's like, what are we really, you know, what's really going on here? When the gist of what people are saying, I mean, when you highlighted the point that, um, they have resistance or issues in the White House because, you know, they're so pro-Israel and the Zionist thing. And then you have the people of a different descent who are saying, well, what about us? We have opinions, too. But it's just so one sided till I'm like, this is really, you know, really a sad state of affairs in terms of when you think of 
a democratic process and the importance of freedom of speech and freedom of expression to that. And we see it running all through the social media thing. It's just like, wow, you know, you are really not only do you not want to hear what people have to say, but you move to suppress and censor people when you don't like what they're saying. And that's really, to me, so dangerous. And the Democratic Party has to answer for this because the thing is, this is what happens when your whole party identity has come to the point of, we are the ones that care about marginalized groups. Exactly. I mean, here we are now, the Palestinians are a marginalized group. And the Democratic Party is showing their whole ass because they're basically showing people that uh, except for when it comes to, except for when the person that's doing the oppression is the state of Israel, we don't really care about marginalized groups. So this this is what happens. And like I said, like the Republican Party, they don't really, for the most part, have to answer to this, right? Because they never claimed. They never claimed to care about marginalized groups. But the Democratic Party has. And so they have a lot to answer for. Plus, they are the administration that's in power right now. So the thing is, is like all that, all that uh, we care about the women and we care about black people and everybody else and Trump bad and all that stuff. Now, I mean, now it is no longer covert with the Democratic Party. Now it is overt and people are seeing, especially the younger kids, because these young kids, like they're not foolish. What the older generation of politicians in D.C. have to understand, and you think they would know this, particularly if they have kids this age, is that the Gen Z kids, they have the Internet at their fingertips on multiple devices. They grew up with it. They they were born with it, whereas like for those of us that are millennials, like there was no Internet when I was born. You know, right. so, I mean, so the thing is, is like they know how to find what they need to what they need to find. They don't necessarily just rely on what they're taught in school. They know how to pick up their phone and search for something to see if this is really the case. But, you know, I guess what's so frightening to me is it seems like we're closer to a type of authoritarianism and you know, fascism, totalitarianism, closer than we really know. Because like I say, they're demonstrating their willingness to suppress. And all of this, to my thinking, is a byproduct of the consolidation of wealth and power at the very top in the hands of a few. And, you know, they're always in alignment on economic interests. And when you fan that out to... to the race or majority minority issues, they're always are, you know, they have the willing sycophants who believe they are in alliance with these rich people and don't realize you all are just as, you know, invaluable to them as the minorities are. They just see you as labor and they're trying to do their best to get away from needing you for that. And I'm just like, wow, you know, we really are close to something that is really diabolical. And, you know, like you say, the Democrats are being exposed for their fallacy in terms of, you know, being pluralistic and, you know, diversity and all this. It's just a sham. 
but the Republicans have never even played that game. So it's like, we really have no choices. And they come together and beat down alternative and third party voices. So I'm like, we really have nowhere to turn. You know, the Israel and Jewish lobby has as much sway with Democrats as they do with Republicans. And they don't even have to really sway the Republicans because they're already there through their evangelical wing. So I'm like, where is this really all leading? We're on the edge of something really. And look how quickly they move to um, primary some of the people in the squad and the people that they're, you know, trying to primary. It's not like these people were really the most progressive people in terms of their, you know, activities. So it's like there is zero tolerance for any type of you know, expression that's not right in line with what these people are wanting. And I'm just like, you know, I am always concerned that certain minority voices can rule the roost and, you know, make decisions strictly along the lines of what they're looking for in international affairs. And they don't care whether the people they get to primary these people or win as long as they're in support of um, Israel, they don't care if these people are horrible on domestic issues or anything like that or what threat they may pose to the people in their district. And it's like, you know, that's just really dangerous that we're sending all of these people to Congress and they really represent one set of interests primarily and it has nothing to do with the American population or electorate. It's all about if you stand on the right side of this, you know, foreign affair issue, we'll get you in office by virtue of our money. And everybody is not going to turn that down. And we have the chance of getting some really wicked, narrow people. And if you can be bought on this issue, you're going to be bought on a whole host of issues. And it's just like, wow, you know, and I guess because of my age, I'm like, ooh, I see this is more scary than maybe people who are more, you know, techno savvy and more into, like you say, the social media. But as a, a older person, I'm like, ooh, this is really, really scary. I hear you. Let's bring in Jay David. Hey, good evening, everybody. How's it going out there? With love from Lowell, Massachusetts. Sabrina, 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 as a fellow masshole, I have to, I have a bone to pick, basically. Long story short. Girl, you're from Massachusetts, and you don't know how to pronounce Mike Capuano. I am not from Massachusetts. So oh. there's that. <laughs> I'm not originally from here. Well, folks, you get to hear my spiritual deep dancing on Colin. I thought you were... No, I... I, I live here, but I wasn't born and raised here. Ah, uh, okay. When, yeah. how, long have you, how long have you been here for? I came here in 2011 for grad school. Uh, okay, where are you from originally? Different place. I don't really have like a hometown because my dad was military, so... Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I see. I, yeah. I feel it. Yeah. Yeah. We but have... I, rem I remember the guy's face, but yeah, his name just, that's why I was just like, is this who, whatever. Anyway, but I remember his face. I remember her debating him uh, on TV, but I was just like, that guy to me just didn't really, he, he wasn't important. <laughs> like, I'm 
was just he, like, like, dude, I don't know you like that. No, during, he was so in that special election after Ted Kennedy passed away just before he came up here. He was running against Martha Coakley um, in the um, on the Democratic side. Uh, and I, I was like, what this guy is probably better than what we ended up with with Coakley. I mean, why why didn't the Dems go with him instead of uh, the attorney general who just got wiped out by? Scott Brown in that special election, which ironically, I ironically, all those same people who were cheering on Scott Brown became never Trumpers around here in good old liberal New England. Now they're all woke and shit. But um, Norm Finkelstein, I think I I, I don't want to use the cliche term voice of a generation, but. There's just something special about the guy after reading up on him and seeing him on do dissidents after seeing him on uh, just every alternative media platform you can think of. Um, there's something special. There's something he, he doesn't back down. He's just sharp as attack. He, he comes armed with facts and, he doesn't crack under pressure. I could honestly see him going up against Bill Maher and embarrassing Bill Maher on real time. Bill Maher would be scared shitless. That would be good. That would be I so would love good. that. Well, I'm Although, glad that they're bringing him on to mainstream media now because for the longest time they tried to avoid Norm Finkelstein because mm-hmm. they knew where he stood on this issue. Mm-hmm. And as, as to Assurance point. I love it. Rabbi Schmuck. Obviously, Rabbi Shmoli Boltech, but uh, Rabbi Schmuck is now in my vocabulary lexicon. And uh, just before I go, because I I, want to say that as a broadcaster, as somebody who worked in radio, a little background about me, I worked in broadcast radio news and broadcast radio for about 10 to 12 years in mostly northern new england uh i'm i'm a native to the area so um i know the area i know the people i know how we can be for anybody who's not inside the the greater boston new england area like i am but having worked in both broadcast radio top 40 country classic hits and even a short stint at new hampshire public radio in 2008 uh i've never felt more open to discuss these types of subjects that i could never do in the mainstream media which is partially why i stepped aside because colin gives me the freedom to talk about what i tried to do when i was working for a small station down in nashua new hampshire at the time, and uh, I was uh, slapped on air by my former station manager, who was okay with free speech as long as it was pro-Trump. There you go. And it was an Alex Jones affiliate, by the way. There you go. I mean, it's it's. I mean, you worked in uh, radio. I majored in broadcast journalism. Um, yeah. 
in, in English. I had internships for broadcast journalism. And even at, I just want people to understand, even at the local news stations, they still censor you. Um, they heavily edit your footage. So like you can interview like five people and I swear to God, like they would pick like the people who said like the most, they used to call them the village idiot. They would pick like the people mm. who said the most intelligent answers, the people who like maybe weren't dressed well or, or whatever. And those are the people that they would put on the local news and not the people who basically had it all together or they would purposely cut off important parts of what they were saying to portray a certain narrative like local news is worse with the censorship as well too like they're they're no different and i think that's the thing like as long as you work like for those networks and those outlets you're always going to come up against that and it really it really is a shame but it like I couldn't speak freely there either. <laughs> no, you can't. Were you on air be, uh, behind the camera, or were you? What were you doing in media? So I I had internships. So I did behind the camera. I did production, but I also did reporting. I didn't like doing production. I don't like uh, doing, doing production now. Eric will tell you. I don't like. <laughs> I don't uh, like doing production. <laughs> uh, I, I tell you that it, it was it was diff it was difficult because I used to produce New England Patriots football. And then I'd have to sync it up with the stations in Boston from our affiliate, and then I'd have to edit a, a, a portion and then send it in for the morning guys. And sometimes you'd have to get up at two thirty three in the morning to get to the station. Uh, yeah, you beat the traffic, but at what cost? You're already drained. I mean, there's no amount of cup, there's no cup of ambition that will get you going. Because I was thinking about it today. Um, yeah, because uh, somebody I used to work with was who was on the air uh, in Boston had to get up and do a morning show shift and then come back and do his afternoon shift, and that killed me. Having to get up and go get up at four thirty in the morning, be at the station by five thirty, and then out out there by ten, and then have to come back later in the afternoon. Oh yeah, it's it's an absolute pain, and like. But what people have to understand is like the narrative is very much controlled. Like even the women that you see on the view, they actually have little little um headsets. They're very tiny, so it's hard to see them, but they have a little earpiece in and the producers are telling them, like giving them cues and telling them we gotta cut, we gotta do this, yada yada. Yep. So like even they it just they're just puppets. Yeah, they are. They they always have been. And I I I mean I why and I, I want to say it's our country that has th this type of programming, but it's England, too. Uh, they have a show equivalent to The the View. I think it's called Loose Women. Um, it's kind of the, the <laughs> same concept. <laughs> <laughs> Loose Women? <laughs> I actually... I had a I had a friend on there who lives uh, uh, over in England who was uh, who was ma making an appearance on the show and and yeah so I watched it I'm like oh that's pretty much the same concept we have here it's called the uh, the view but they call it loose women over there as a as a play on words you know meaning that's sarcastically is so a disarming technique I don't know probably. <laughs> That is um, yeah, no, it is. But no, I mean, I appreciate it and having the big talking stick. Uh, it's almost like therapy for me because, as a lot of people might know, uh, I was uh, given the boot by my former district for having pro-Palestinian views, which would make sense 
since I am 25% Lebanese and Palestinian. So heaven forbid I should be able to uh, stand up for my cousins uh, who are probably, uh, I don't know where they are right now and not be reprimanded for it. And though it's not conduct, I'm becoming of an educator. However, uh, I have, I did, I am moving on. I did have some good interviews today and uh, just being in Boston before the holiday with uh, the listening to the speakers uh, who were doctors who were fired from their jobs for speaking out in so, support of the doctors without borders going in and, and rescuing people under the rubble right now. You can't even you can't even post your support of the doctors without borders without getting reprimanded. That's ridiculous. Yep. Be- yep. Before, before you go, um, Jay David, I wanted to ask um, you, Sabrina, and Eric, and who el- whoever else is on here from Massachusetts, your opinion about this guy running to want to be your senator, uh, third party. He's running third party. Uh-huh. It's like James Brandon Griffin or something like that. Oh, Brandon James Griffin. Yes. What, what? Brandon James Griffin, yes. I, I've been I'm very well aware uh, of his efforts to um, get on the ballot in Massachusetts. Um, I can't tell you much more about it, but uh, I, I see his name across um, social media. Yeah, because it says he's part of a... What is it? Let's say, I forgot what party it said he was, but I know it was a, like a third party, I believe. It's the Workers' Party, I think. Yeah, the needs a workers party. Okay. Yeah, work- I think. Yes, you're 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 right. I'm I'm looking at it. When Sabrina, when I was going through to find what you were asking me to send to you, I came across this. I said, "Oh yeah, I gotta I gotta ask Sabrina about that because I had sent that to you. Um, I don't know back. Uh, what does that say? Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I guess. But um, I by the way, I I did email the call in alternatives to you while while you was talking, but um. Yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe you could probably maybe interview him or something like that, Sabrina, since he's third party. We can we can work something out. I mean, what say you, Sabrina? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I'd definitely be interested in speaking to him. I just haven't, um, you know, it's best to email me these things because um, I, I'll be honest, like things get lost in DM and yes, it's just a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. Understandable. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Again, uh, I have to see what my, my schedule is, but I, I would be more than willing to, uh, invite, uh, what I can do is I can talk to him and I can say, Hey, if you want to, oh, you know, him personally. Campaign. Yeah. Oh, hook, 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 connect them, connect her and Sabrina. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can do, do that. It. I can reach out after the show. There you go. Alrighty. That took me forever to figure that out. I have no idea why, but maybe it's a few gummies later and I have to be out early tomorrow, but you know, you know, I'll I'll get it to him. Don't no worries. Sounds great. Alright, Raj. Sabrina, everybody, you have a great night. Take care and keep up the fight. All right, thank you. It was by the way, it was nice meeting you in person. Oh, it was lovely. Uh, likewise, the feeling was me. <laughs> <laughs>
let's talk about Sabrina. I met her in person a couple days ago. Oh, I was about to say you guys met. Like I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. Jay, I didn't meet you. What are you talking about? <laughs> did you meet me? No, oh, me. Oh, I thought you were talking to me. I was. That, I told you. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I met Sabrina in person. Oh my ago. goodness. I mean, I, I mean, okay. Sorry, That's I thought you were talking to me for a second. I'm like, did we meet? And uh, I'll just be like, oh, yeah, 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 we did meet. That was funny. That, I do that all the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's it's that guy. Yeah, we did. I do that. It's, it's my bad. Sorry for the confusion, guys. Kind of like hey. that, um, that that um that Chevy Chase movie. Those movies he used to do, um, oh Vacation. And he went to, they went to some place in, in Germany. Germany. And then oh, they, and it was the wrong house. Right. And they, they showed you how nice these people were. They welcomed them in. They gave them dinner. Yeah. They up, whatever. <laughs> and then when, and then when the, when the Griswolds. Fucked if I knew. <laughs> yeah. When the Griswolds left, they talking to, the, they talking to each other in German. Do you know those people? Nope. I didn't know. I didn't know who that was. Yep. Exactly, and then of course uh, I love Audrey's talk for the uh, the 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 grandmother, the old lady. She's like she he's talk she's talking to him in her in English about her boyfriend problems, and she's just she's like it's so nice to have somebody who understands what I'm talking about. And then Clark's like Audrey, what are you talking about? Oh. <laughs> um, Oh my God! No, that, that I I do that. You know, it's almost like being in a crowd. I sometimes do that also in a crowd. Um, you know, when when I I don't think I can hear somebody, I'll be like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'll just be like, uh, you know, I'll make some weird, you know, hand gesture or something appropriately or something like that. Or I'll make some weird small talk and or give them the thumbs up, like I pretended to hear them or something. You know, not realizing that we have text. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if you could hook it issues. up, if you could, because he wants to be you guys senator. So if you could hook it up, that that's great. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'll talk to Brandon. Cool. All right. All right. Have a good night, guys. Thanks so much. All right. Peace out. All right. Let's go ahead and bring in. Daniel, Let's see. All right, Daniel, you are on the mic. You just have to unmute, and we'll be able to hear your wonderful voice. Unmute button is in the bottom left corner of the app. What's up, Daniel? Oh, hi. Um, yeah, I guess I'd like to talk about the Palestinian-Israeli. Um, yeah, so um, the one thing is, is I think whenever I hear these Israelis or their, um, their uh, um, people who um, recite their talking points, I, I think it's projection. I mean, you know, it's all stuff that the Israeli army either has done is going to do or would like to do if they could possibly get away with it. I mean, I, I've heard, I've heard, um, um, you know, there was this, I, th I think it was, uh, I think it was, um, Nani Yahoo's, um, 
nephew or something. And one time during the 2014 um, uh, invasion, which which was also pretty horrific, it woke a lot of Jewish people up. I mean, a lot of Jewish people I know, um, you know, were, were on the fence and um, that really brought a lot of Jewish people into the movement, the just horrificness of the 
in the in the group came went up like tenfold after um this so right. um it's yeah so um but you know it's and, and also the other thing is is i i don't i i guess i i don't see how they're how israel is our ally i mean yes there's brilliant people in israel i mean i mean my relatives supposedly are brilliant i mean but but there's there's brilliant people in, in lots of parts of the world there's brilliant people in america there's brilliant people in china there's brilliant people all over the world i mean we we don't need them um you know if they don't come up with it someone else will you know i mean there's so so and, and i don't see and also i i don't see how they help us i mean i think i was listening to um uh Oh, Ranya Kalik and and or, or some oh oh or maybe it was a Ranya Kalik, but um, other uh, uh, possibly um uh oh the Asian woman who um who's very popular um half Vietnamese half um Caucasian um but. <laughs> Uh, the, the Vietnamese, um, she, she's half Vietnamese, half Caucasian. She's pretty popular. She's, she, um, she uh, came out against the, um, um, I'm blanking on the name. She came out against the, Kim um, Iverson. The, Kim Iverson. Yes. Kim Iverson. Oh. <laughs> yeah, Kim Iverson. Yes. Sorry, you lost me there for a second. <laughs> yeah, Kim Iverson. And she, she was saying, I mean, how... How do, or, or maybe it was um, Rania Kalik saying, you know, how do they help us? I mean, you know, the the Gulf the Gulf um, monarchies are bribable, so we can get all the oil we want from them. We just gotta <laughs> bribe them, and then also, we, so we don't. I mean, they have no natural resources we need. I and they just get us into wars in the Middle East. So I don't know. I don't know how Israel helps us. I don't know how they're an ally or at least a good ally. I, I think that they, you know, they just have figured out how to um have a a complete um control over every over almost every. I mean, it's less, but almost every official um, with their ability to just raise monstrous amounts of money. I mean, you know, the other thing about Bill Ackman and Jeffrey Sachs, I mean, it's, I mean, they're, they're, they're not probably Jeff, not, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me just oh. interrupt for a second. I okay. want people to get confused. Yes. It's not Jeffrey Sachs, it's David Sachs. Hey, thank you, David Sachs. I mean, they're, they're, they're I mean, those sound like Jewish names to me. So it, it's, it's not like they're, 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 they're billionaires being pushed into it. I mean, I think Elon Musk is a billionaire being pushed into it. Um, he's, you know, they've, they've basically, the ADL has basically, um, you know, completely, I, I think completely gone in his, um, all his um, advertisers to jump ship. So he's just doing, so he's just sort of being willing mm -hmm. to be Nanny Yahoo's, um, you know, just, um, you jumped, uh, you know, sort of. The thing is, the <laughs> thing is, is no like, lies. what happens if another powerful group emerges yeah. one day and they do the same thing that the ADL is doing and that APAC is doing. And instead of Palestinians being affected, it is black people who are affected. Oh, you yeah. know, I, I think this is how I want people to think about this, especially right. those who say, 
we shouldn't talk about this because it's not a black issue. All oppression that happens across the world has been known to pivot back to the United States and affect certain groups here. Definitely. So I want people to think about that for a second. What happens if another powerful group emerges or say a powerful group that already exists and they take issue with African-Americans? And there are, there are already rich people who feel this way, that feel that we're draining resources, that feel that we're taking up space. What happens then? I mean, you know, where do, you know, the, the Uncle Toms of the Congressional Black Caucus, of the Democratic Party, of the Republican Party, what do they do? What do they say? That's a that's a good point. I mean, I mean, I think you know, I I think I mean it. It seems like it seems like they're just willing to be bought off. I mean, they're you know, I mean, I, I it, it's I mean, it, it's you know, would they would they? I mean, it's with, with the. I mean, with the, with the Palestinians, it's not their people. But then, of course, you have, you know, in the, you know, in the cop city, you know, which, which, you know, it goes after it's the cops who are getting trained to go after their people. And it's like, you know, as, as you pointed out in your show, they're willing to um, sign on to it. Right. Like it, it always comes back to remember what Martin Luther King said about the, the foreign interest abroad, right? That it does affect domestic issues here at home. Because if you think about the $8.3 billion that the US government is sending to Israel every year, that's money that we could use right here in this country. Definitely. We've been, actually, actually, um, that was one thing, um, there's another group, um, um, uh, United Campaign for Palestinian Rights that was pushing that. And we, we've tried to, I mean, that's a that's a big issue that, that, you know, I mean, that, that eight billion could help us here. And that's the other thing. The other thing they pointed out is that, is that, um, you know, is that so Israel, Israel, you know, it's an Israel, um, um, they have universal health care. Now, right. why are they able to have universal health care? We're, because we're paying part of their military budget. <laughs> I mean, well, I, I also want to mention too, in reference to the universal health care point. Yeah, I just want people to think about something for a second. You know, anytime those of us that are, you know, African American, and we bring up the issue of slavery, there's also there's always these naysayers, right? They're always like, we don't need to talk about that. You weren't a slave, right? How many times have people heard that? How many times have people said, heard people say, well, you weren't a slave or this person wasn't a slave. You weren't alive back then, right? Have you guys ever noticed that you, you, for the most part, you do not hear people say to Jewish people, you weren't a part of the Holocaust? Oh, we got quiet. It got quiet. And to to make to draw put a point on that sabrina you know we talk about the holocaust but there were jewish people around during the african enslavement in the united states and that is never spoken about whenever we talk about american history during that period it is generally through a black white prism to whatever extent you discuss race at all 
but they never break it down and say, well, what was the role of the Jewish community during slavery? What role did they play in that process? Because they were certainly, there were certainly some Jewish people here. And it's just a really interesting um, type of dynamic. But the reality is, you know, it's a matter of whether you were a slave or not. It's the building of the institutions and how they framed you through that process. And so we live with the stigma of it to this day. And like I always say, the, the total amount of wealth that was created with 200 years of free labor in the nascent stages of this country cannot be overstated. Everything was tied into that institution of slavery and even, you know, Wall Street and all the other industries that were related and built up around the institution of slavery. It created institutions, both physical as well as the infrastructural. And it's just a part of it. And in that whole creation, we were the footstools. And so just because you take away the chains does not mean you take away what it means to be in that. And I always say one of the most detrimental aspects of the introduction of a race construct is people built their identity out of that. And so not only did you have the country getting rich off of slavery as an institution, because it happened at the very early stages of this nation's development, race and the intersection of race and capitalism framed people's identities. And so, you know, that's all relative. And a part of the problem we have in this country is the white imagination around a equal black set of people is just so limited. And it's a, it comes, I think, as a feeling of disempowerment. You take away my identity because now I'm not a step above you because I'm simply white. And so that's what I believe a, a part of that strong resistance is. It, up, it upends the whole apple cart, not only just the economy, but the infrastructure and the social structure in terms of how we see ourselves. That is, I think, a lot, especially the poor whites who have nothing else to cling to but identity. If you take that away, they really feel they have nothing. That's why they're marching around to my, we won't be replaced and this and that and that. That's, that's saying our identity and the relative importance of what that means to be in this country will be protected and preserved. Right. And the thing is, is the thing is, too, like they still benefit from a certain type of and I've, I've had this conversation before with like Jewish friends of mine who will admit that, like, yes, they're Jewish, but they still benefit from a certain type of white privilege that black people do not benefit from. Like you, they, if you still have white skin, people still see you as white. So the thing is, is that what I want people to just think about for a second, if you really think about it, it's like you can criticize any other marginalized group, but when it comes to that particular group, you are not allowed to criticize, you're not allowed to question, you're not allowed to, you know, even just, just even just ask, like, well, what about this? What about that? You can't do it, but you never see people 
behave the same sort of way with other groups like Latinos, with black people. Like you, you never see it. You never see it. You never hear politicians and news commentators, mainstream media news commentators, get as angry and, you know, as, as I guess, like outright as outright as they are when it comes to black people the same billionaires who are saying what they're saying trying to fight so hard to protect jewish people these people were against the protesters that were protesting against police brutality after george floyd bill ackman was against it david Sachs was against it elon musk was silent like so that's something i want people to fully understand like when they talked about like we're pro free speech and stuff like that they weren't talking about free speech in reference to marginalized groups they were talking about free speech in reference to white people and that's what i've been trying to signal to people and get people to really understand same thing with rfk jr like where were all these people during the george floyd protest they were either silent or they disagreed with it so think about this for a second but they're like we need to protect they're saying we need to protect jewish people we need to protect people against anti-semitism and by the way that word is being thrown around for anything now but i never saw these people say we need to protect black people think about that because during george floyd they were too busy planning out cop city <laughs> so no no well uh are you familiar with Dr. Je Dr. Leonard Jeffries. Oh, am I here? Uh oh, a little. Yes. I okay. So, back in the early '90s, he was the head of City College in Albany, in in upstate New York. And they took his. Um, they took his everything, didn't they? Yes, they, they did. They wrecked his whole career. Uh huh. You, you, you remember why? He had dared to speak to that issue about Jewish participation or Jewish or something. Right. In his Albany speech, Dr. Leonard Jeffries also said that Jews helped to finance the slave trade. Yes. Students have said that Dr. Jeffries has distributed booklets in class suggesting that. The melanin and skin pigment may give blacks an intellectual advantage. And he has often talked about the difference between the humanitarian and communal, communal sun people of Africa and the ice people of Europe, where harsh conditions produced a culture of domination, destruction, and death. Okay, so he got in trouble for, for that and, you know, he, he got ousted and so on and so forth. But... Um, he was a mentor to his to his uh, to his nephew, um, and you know his nephew looked up to him um, that, until that wouldn't be how came with it. This, yes, it would. Yuck. Once once he started running for Congress, he kind of separated because they was they was trying to be. Well, your uncle said this, and your uncle said that. He ran as far away from his uncle as fast as he could. Um, and I only got hip to that because my cousin actually knows uh, uh, Jeffries through his uncle. And um, I was just like, oh, I didn't even know that. You know, I didn't even know that they was related, you know, but yeah, that, that relationship, I don't think has ever been repaired ever since he 
pretty much, you know, threw his uncle under the bus. I mean, I don't see how it really could, because if you have a certain level of integrity and you stand on a certain amount of truth, those type of betrayals are not easily contended with. But, you know, it's interesting because as I contemplate you know, a one-state solution for Palestine-Israel, I am so concerned that the Palestinians will, in like fashion to the descendants of slaves, be pent to the bottom of whatever economy and in time would look like the descendants of slaves in terms of being the permanent underpinning of an underclass. Because as Sabrina discussed earlier, you know, we have come to understand in this country that separate is never really equal. So a two-state solution would have its, you know, frailties, but a one-state type of situation, which in this country would be reflective of integration, is not much better. Because as I thought about it, I said, well, you know, with integration, we have still not managed to escape the vicissitudes of having been the descendants of slaves. And we're still at the bottom. And I can see the acrimony and bitterness and the way the um, Israeli population has just demonized in the worst kind of way the Palestinians that even in a one-state solution, if they were not monitored and had oversight for a very long time, it would be the same thing. Because at some point, if you don't come to the table honestly and admit what has happened, that's the only way you, it's a, through a real confrontation and contention with the truth is the only way forward. And we demonstrate in this country what it looks like when you don't do that honestly, because we know that the removal of chains does not mean the end of the zeitgeist of slavery. And we see that it has inhabited and really infected this country. And so 400 years into this, four or 500 years into this American experiment, we still have, you know, the same set of issues. And now we see with the emergence of a black political class, we see, you know, white supremacy and blackface. You know, they, they deliver the same thing that white people would. It's just that they got brown skin. And so it's like, is there any real escape? Yeah, these are all very good points. And um, I think it's Lance just put in the chat. He said, how come um, immigrants can or black immigrants or excuse me, immigrants can start businesses in inner cities uh, when blacks can't. So the way this was explained to me, um, Marty told me about this, Mr. Marty. He worked at a he was a nail tech, right? So he had a business in South Carolina when I was in college and he's, he had a nail salon and Mr. Marty was like the best one. So when people come in, they ask for Mr. Marty. This is back when I used to actually get my nails done more often. Mr. Marty, I asked Mr. Marty this question, like, how are you able to start business? You know, when you come here and da, 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 Mr. Marty told me, and I have to check and see if this is still the case, but Mr. Marty told me that when he came to this country as an immigrant, if he wanted to start a business, he told me that he didn't have to pay taxes on that business for the first 10 years. That's what Mr. Marty told me. He also told me that when he came here, it's not like he came by himself. He brought like other family members and stuff with them. He said they all lived in one apartment at first. And he said they put, you know, they worked odd jobs, put their money together. 
then were able to get the loan. And he was talking about how easy it was for him to get the loan, to get the business because he was, you know, an, an, an immigrant. Whereas you have black people who were born in this country that still struggle to get loans, right? So the way this usually works is that no credit is considered to be bad credit. But Mr. Marty explained for me, like, I guess for him, because he was an immigrant, like he didn't have that issue. So long story short, they are given certain resources that we are not given. Not to mention the fact I've also um, seen through secondhand, a lot of them are told, whether it's the State Department or whoever, if you want these things, you are not to, uh, they tell them either uh, directly or indirectly. But if you want all these things, you are not to associate yourselves with Black Americans because yep. it's the whole divide and conquer thing. They yep. don't want us putting them up on game. And then what happens is they're out there and not don't even know, don't even know what's going on. And when they get caught up in the system out there, whatever the case is, they get blindsided. And for those who have never lived in a black community, I can tell you when I go back to visit my relatives, like in Baltimore, most of the stores in the neighborhood are not black owned. Most of the stores in the neighborhood are owned by immigrants that are other races. So like the sub shop, and I can tell you if we go to Westwood Shopping Center, the sub shop is owned by a Chinese family, right? So then you have like the beauty salon is owned by, or not the beauty salon, but the beauty shop, beauty store, whatever you want to call it, beauty supply store is owned by a Korean family. Like, and this, this is all in black neighborhoods. Most of the stores and shops are not black owned. And again, it's because we don't get those types of resources. So I think that that's, that's part of the problem. But what I want people to understand, this is not to say that, you know, there isn't anti-Semitism in this country. There is, it's everywhere, but it's just to make people fully understand that even when you look at that, at the end of the day, black people are the ones who are still at the bottom, particularly black Americans. You know, I've had classmates that are Nigerian or their parents were Nigerian, but they were born in the United States. They already had certain privileges that I did not have. And I was born here, you know, like their parents came here with degrees or their parents came here as doctors. They were already, in fact, one of my classmates and my uh, roommates when I lived in college, her parents were doctors in Nigeria before they came to the U.S. And then they came here. So they were already able to start a good life for her and for themselves. That is not the case for a lot of black people growing up in the United States. So that's why you see, you know, a lot of outrage from people in Chicago right now where they're really upset because they said they're giving all these resources, they're giving housing to uh, migrants and stuff like that. Whereas you have black people who were born in Chicago who are not being offered these resources. So there is a, you know, growing uh, hostility in the, some parts of the black community about this particular issue, because again, we are always forgotten. And this is why I keep saying that black people need to stop voting for the Democratic Party. And what continues to help the Democrats win 
it's mainly black boomers, you know, and particularly those who already got theirs. That typically, with the exception of Barack Obama, because a lot of young, young black people came out to support Barack Obama, but that has not stayed the case since Barack Obama. <clears throat> um, I want to go to you, uh, Daniel, and then I'll go to Bindu. Uh, so what were you, I want to make sure you got to say what you wanted to say, Daniel. Go ahead. Mm -mm. Uh-oh. I think we lost Daniel. Okay, Bindu, you just got to unmute. Uh, hey, Sabby, can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear yeah, me? Yeah. Oh, hold on one second, Daniel. I'll come back. Go ahead, Bindu. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say, just to, like, kind of piggyback on what you were saying, like, you know, I, like, these, like, these are the stories that I be hearing from a lot of the Black American, uh, you know, folk online and everything. And I feel like that's where a lot of the anger is coming from. And also, like, a lot of the the talk about this isn't a Black issue when it comes to the, you know, what's going on in, um, um, uh, overseas right now. Because I feel like, and, and I kind of feel this way too, but I don't agree with them. But I feel like, you know, we get loud and fight for everybody's issues. I mean, when we talk about people that come here from, you know, from all these other places, like the reason why you're allowed to come here is because black Americans fought for you to have that right to come here previously. Like, you know, there were certain groups in America that weren't even allowed to have fucking property rights that black Americans fought for. But, you know, I feel like that, that hasn't been reciprocated to us to help us in our struggles. In fact, it seems like sometimes a lot of these groups you know, like kick in with white supremacy and, you know, the, the hierarchical structure we have here, um, here. And it's just, you know, it's weird to see because, you know, I'm a person, like I care about other people's issues and I speak up for, for people's issues just because like, I feel somebody doing you wrong. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like that shit not happening because it don't benefit me. But on the flip side of that, like I do recognize it do be cold out in them streets when it comes to black issues, like, like to the, like, you know, I feel like a lot of these groups also dabble in anti-blackness as well. Like when you look at stories like what happened in the uh, L.A. City Council, I believe, where you had like, mm -hmm. you know, you have a lot of black people that speak up on migrants coming here. You know, not you see like kind of counter to that now. But, you know, like black people spoke up for them to come over here and, you know, they get into the, their descendants, get into the council. and You hear how they speak about us, calling us monkeys and all this shit like it's like, well, damn, what, why the fuck would I fight for you now when it seems like I'm not getting that, you know, that love back? And then, you know, talking about the Jewish community as well, I find it kind of interesting that, like, just like, like, look, I, I think I said this on the sh on the stream previously. Like, Kanye said a lot of things that necessarily weren't like he said a lot of stupid shit. He said a lot of dumb shit, but a lot of the fucking shit he was saying was true. Like talking about how like mo when you look at most of the hip-hop executives especially now like everybody likes to complain about the state of where hip-hop is now like oh why why are they raising up like the sexy reds and all these female artists that are de degrading the women and all and it's like you look at the executives in hip-hop most of them are fucking like jewish and it's like when we raise that issue like bro we're not like and kanye said this as well he was like i'm not trying to hate on y'all 
but I'm trying to like improve the culture of my people, just like how y'all have culture. And when shit doesn't go, you know, when shit goes against y'all culture, y'all defend y'all culture. Like he, he was saying, I'm trying to do that for mine, but I'm not allowed to because there's a moneyed interest in the degradation of black culture. Like everybody profits off of our culture, except us. We get the shit end of the deal. Basically, we get the, you know, the false, you know, pretenses of how we're presented on screen and everything thrown at us because now that. You know, you have all these rappers rapping about guns and drugs and, you know, the female rappers rapping about what they rap about. Then you get the counter narrative of Fox News coming out and saying, see, this is all black. And the Candace Owens is, you know, coming out. See, this is all black culture is. And, you know, it's drugs, money, this, that and the third. But nobody ever talks about the Kendricks or the Coles. And even though they got their issues, too. But like it's like the hyper focus is on that nonsense. And it's like it's almost like a way to to make money on all ends off of the backs of black people. So I think it's a lot of frustration within the black American community specifically, you know, when it comes to things like that. And that's where you get like people like Umar Johnson and Tariq Nasheed, who I feel like are leading, you know, the movement astray. Like they'll use the words of Malcolm X, but they won't say a fucking peep about how Malcolm X essentially like if you read a lot of the shit he had to say about economics a lot of this buy the block bullshit. A lot of these niggas is talking about Malcolm X is not for that shit. Like you, he, he espoused a lot of Marxist ideology, but you never hear them talk about that. You'll hear them talk about Fred Hampton and how he was toting a gun to defend himself, but they never talked about how you know Fred Hampton was talking about how we can't dabble in black capitalism because then that will develop into black imperialism. Which I feel when you look at the economic structures in places like Tulsa, like yes, those were rich black people. But most of the black people in those towns were fucking poor. So all we fucking did was take what, you know, our former enslavers did to us and instilled it in our own fucking community and built, you know, basically, you know, an impoverished working class there. Then on top of that, y'all didn't even, didn't even do a good job of protecting your own wealth because then, you know, white mob violence came and destroyed it in the first place. So I think that's where a lot of the frustration and is coming from. And a lot of the, uh, you know, the, the things like that different groups are hearing black people say now, like, I think it's not being properly contextualized within that. And again, I know I push this book a lot, but I think like Powernomics by Dr. Claude Anderson, like I, I am imploring people to read this fucking book. Cause like, it's like, it's so much shit in there that I'm like, yo, I'm like, I never even thought about it that way until I seen it. Boom, boom, boom. I may not agree with everything he's saying because he's speaking from like a capital, essentially from what I'm, I grasp from him and a lot of people that come from his line of thought, they essentially want us to be in the place where, you know, Jewish people are viewed as where we have institutional power within America to where like, if, you know, we can get people fired for saying bad things about us where I necessarily don't know if I want to go down that road because we see where that leads. Like it leads to, you know, the acceptance of, you know, a group of Zionists within the Jewish community, you know, committing a genocide, but um, you know, I, I just think that like, you know, proper contextualization and like not being afraid to have these conversations that may make, you know, non-black people, you know, feel some type of way. Like, don't matter how you feel, like, fuck how you feel. We need to have these conversations because you can't have solidarity without having these conversations. Like, you know, like we say, fuck unity all the time. We want solidarity. Well, we can't have that until we have these conversations. And if these conversations can't be had, then I come from the mindset that, you know, fuck, fuck what you talk about. Now. So, I, I agree, because if you're a black socialist, you're caught between two 
two opposing forces. Bro. Where you go ahead. Oh. No, I was gonna say, yeah, I agree with you, man, because it's like like when I see certain shit sometimes, man, I be getting so fucking mad, but then I gotta stop because I'm like, all right, man, just just relax, just relax. Because like I said, like, you know, that's when you get the well, well, I call them a concocted Umar now, but that's where you get niggas like that that come in and basically pimp, pimp your rage and use it in a different way. So he'll have you saying, oh, fuck Whitey, fuck this group, fuck that, fuck all this. And then meanwhile, like, he building a school that nobody's fucking going to. Yeah, so, 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 so right, yeah, Umar Johnson. So it's, it's like, on one end, you are trying to make white leftists understand that yes class but it's also race that they never want to deal with then on to to your right to the other side you you know you're fighting people whether you know whether it's from the FBA movement or whatever the case is who is like yes it's race okay but it's also class but there's no interest in class because they all want to be um um entrepreneurs you know, oh they, they, yeah, they, yeah. so it's just like, yeah, you're just going to do you're taking on that mindset and you're just going to do to black workers. OK, that that the, that the white guy did, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, so you find yourself in between like two things. Now, that was interesting that you said I did not know that when you said that most of the black working class in Tulsa was suffering from income inequality. Well, you didn't say it like that, but that's pretty much what you said. That's the first time that I heard about that. And my grandfather it's because- comes, Yeah, my grandfather comes from like a town that was like that in Virginia. It wasn't as prominent. It's called uh, Martinsville, Virginia. And like, he, he talked about how like, you know, my grandfather, like he passed away really before like I became like, came into my own politically. So we never really had these conversations. I'm pretty, like, I'm pretty sure my grant, he will be like your run of the mill, like black boomer. Like, you know, he has conservative values, but he votes liberal because like Republicans just patently just say racist shit all the fucking time. Like my grand, when he found out Chuck Norris was a fucking Republican. He stopped watching Walker. So that sums up my Yeah. So that's, that's kind of like, you know, the, the, you know, the issue because, you know, like they all want to be, you know, black capitalists. And, and yeah. I mean, and this is just like, yeah, just, just because, you know, my boss is black don't mean he's going to treat me any different. Or, you know what I mean? There's, so there's no voice for black working class is pretty much what I'm saying. You know what I yeah, mean? Too, like you see like a lot of people, like there's a lot of shit I recently learned when you look at like, like pe- I still see people like, you know, lionizing Farrakhan. I'm like, yo, this is a nigga that collaborated with, like, allegedly collaborated with the government to have one of our greatest fucking leaders killed. Like, why are we celebrating this nigga? Like, <laughs> like some of this, like some of the people that 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 we as black people raised up, and I get is coming from a circumstance of not having. Like, I feel like a lot of the shit we see with white people and Trump now and latching on to these different like figures, like Vivek Ram, whatever fuck his name is that little <laughs> motherfucker. Uh, like because they like they feel like they're kind of in a position we're in now because it's like oh now the establishment is fucking with us so we got to pick people that's saying the shit that we like to hear but at the end of the day these these motherfuckers ain't fighting for you like you know like i was watching um it's this dude like he has some liberal tendencies with him but his name is a fd signifier 
he he talk he talks a lot about like he talks a lot about like different like racial shit in conjunction with the politics. So sometimes he goes too far into like you know like just not speaking on class issues. But he kind of brought this up where he talked about like the four. He named like four pillars of black conservatism, basically. And like he, he talked about how Farrakhan because like Farrakhan was somebody my, my folks talked about, but not as much because my, you know, like because my family is more of like a Christian background than like Islam. Like I don't have like a lot of Islam in my family. So like Farrakhan was like mentioned in my family, but not talked about often. So like I knew of him and knew of like the Million Man March, like like they would say positive things about him, but because he wasn't Christian, they didn't speak about him as much. So like learning a lot about them, it's like black, some black Americans want, it's almost like they want the aesthetics of white America, but we recognize we can't look like them because obviously we clearly look different than them, but it's like trying to take that culture and copy and paste it to us. But I'm like, that's not going to work for us because we, we've been tried that shit. Like my, you know, like I said, my grand father's folks tried that shit they tried that shit in Tulsa they tried it everywhere and it's failed miserably every fucking time black black capitalism and capitalism in general has failed black people everywhere it has fucking gone meanwhile you know even though it's not here in the states like what turned me on to Marxism was because I read about what Thomas Sankara was doing in Burkina Faso and then I started reading about what Malcolm was talking about in terms of like I think Malcolm literally said like yo if, if black people are looking for like you know quality housing you know their children to be taught well and things like that we need to be looking to what um the, the uh, people in east asia like in china are doing they're turning towards socialism not capital like verbatim malcolm said that but it's like it just gets lost on deaf ears and whenever i bring that up i just get crickets from my homies like they'll be talking about like, see what we need to do is we need to go to wyoming like kanye and buy up all this land and da 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 but then when i showed them this passage what malcolm was said fucking crickets bro yeah, because, I mean, you take a look at, I mean, I don't mean to beat a, a dead horse or a broken record or whatever the case is, right? But, I mean, you could just take a look at, you know, Jay-Z and Diddy. I mean, Yo, you Beyonce know, he, came out looking like a white woman the other day. Anybody see that shit? <laughs> like, yo, this shit is wild. Yeah. yeah, look at the way they treat their employees. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? I mean, they, they're still leeching from the community. What did Jay-Z say? He said he, he tried to come back to the community and say, yo, invest in Bitcoin. I forgot what it but, was, but... This but you know... But everything you all have been discussing are the byproducts and side effects of being the permanent underpinning of the underclass. There's only been one game in this country and it has been capitalism. And because we never got our due recompense for the service that we provided to lay the foundation, then you get all these divergent strategies of people trying to survive and people looking at the white elitists as the aspirational apex people in the community. So it's just, all of these things start to happening because you never got what you needed to even exist in a capitalist structure. And when you come into that structure as the chattel that was actually owned, you know, you never get full footing because the perception of who you are is shaped out of your enslavement. And so, like I say, 
during the Reconstruction period, that's when this country really had an opportunity to really confront what it had done and, and make a whole change in a different direction. And if the descendants of slaves had been, you know, legitimately enfranchised, even in this capitalist society with a retribution, with a recompense for what they had suffered, we would have been a part of the capitalist structure and it would not have just had a white face on it because many blacks would have had the resources and the land and they ostensibly would have found their way. But because we got pegged to the bottom, all these other immigrant groups who come in seeking opportunity, they come into a structure where we're at the bottom and white people are at the top. So they come to aspire for all of the class and the accoutrement that goes with that. And everybody understands that we're the floor mat, the doormat. So they come in and they step on us and they keep climbing higher and this and that. Meanwhile, we're scrambling at the bottom, trying to find different means and methods to survive. And, you know, the one or two who can make it through entertainment to the upper strata. But like you say, in in terms of being a participant in that feast, you have to buy in lock, stock and barrel. You can't come into those games and change those games because by the time you amass enough influence, you've sold your soul. And the minute you try and do something different, they're going to smack you down and put you out. You will never really get a foothold. And this system works to make sure that you never get a foothold because a part of the capitalist ideology is exploitation and extraction. And if everybody knows that you're the ultimate to extract and, you know, exploit, everybody comes in on that tip. And so, you know, the ones or two of us who make it, they're doing the same dance. They're extracting and exploiting. You know, they'll shake their rump and say the foul things in order to get the money. And once they get the money and try to call themselves developing consciousness, it's too late. So it's just, but I believe, I really feel like this whole capitalist thing is going to turn cannibalistic and predatory and feed on itself. And we're starting to see those movements towards that now. And either it's going to end up recycling itself or it's just going to burn itself out because at the end of the day, there has to be a better way of living across the whole globe with limited resources than this, you know, winner take all feed and get all you can. That just is not working. And that's why I think we see the other, you know, powers in this world trying to move in a different way. It's, this whole capitalist thing is the, really the root of all kind of. Yes. It's, yeah. It's, uh, um, Daniel. It's like they want to mark yeah. this well, um, based off of capitalistic principles, which that doesn't make sense. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, I I just like to say about as far as um. Well, I mean, I think like as a Jewish person, I think we we have been we have been um. Uh, um, promoted to whiteness. I think you know. I mean, there's you. I think we are very privileged. Jewish people are very privileged. They're very protected. 
Um, and I, I, I always think it's sort of ridiculous. This, this. I mean, you know, I, I speak to people who who are on pays or anti-Zionist. They they don't believe in this Jewish supremacist system they have in Israel, and they say there there is real anti-Semitism. And okay, I haven't experienced it, but um, but but if they say it, I believe them. They're people of good conscience, and they want justice for everyone. So I. I I believe what they say, um, but but we are but but um, we are, I mean we're fairly prosperous we're fairly privileged and we're and again we're pro- protected I mean we're I mean you know as as far as and I mean it's it's sort of a we're not actually we're not really protected because if you're a Jewish anti-Zionist um, they'll come after you I mean just look at I mean Norman Finkelstein is a you know, went to an Ivy League university, really smart guy, and he he was destroyed because he he went he went against the Zionist. Well, he he was he was, I mean, he went against the um he 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 criticized Israel too much. Um, and as far as as far as the um, I mean, there and as far as actually the um the uh the the thing about was there. Uh, Jews during slavery, uh, definitely. I mean, there was Levi Strauss. I mean, he started around. I think that started around the eighteen hundreds. You know, so there was definitely. I, I, I mean, it's hard for me to believe that there wasn't several prosperous Jews around, and they didn't prosper off of this horrendous practice. I mean, Jewish people are definitely not too sanctimonious for it. I mean, look at what they're doing in Israel. I think Israel has proved that Jewish people can do the most monstrous things in the world. I mean, not all Jews, but some Jews, if given that that place of power or or, or ability. Um, yeah, so... so yeah, so I, I think that, and then I think about the anti-Semitism. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, it, it's sort of, it's sort of. I mean, I remember reading one thing, um, you know, um, from this from this Jewish person saying, you know, if it wasn't for us, all you'd have is NASCAR, because um, the Jew, because a lot of the studios were were created were were established by Jewish people. Um, so, so, so they do have, I'm not saying that Jewish people have, are, are, are 100% Hollywood, but I, I think we do have an, we sort of have, um, um, a, you know, a sort of outsized influence. We sort of have a, I guess, I guess a disproportionate representation. So we we have a lot of representation in Hollywood. I think we have a lot of representation in finances. So so you know they they so you know and on the one hand they say if you point that out they say oh you're you're supporting this anti-Semitic trope, but then on the other hand they're happy to sort of um, sort of uh, um, claim it on the mantle, you know of oh we're so smart. Look at how. How how we look at how prominent we are in these areas and how much influence and, we have. And so, Daniel, like, to, yeah. to just put a fine point on what you were saying, it's not just an outsized representation; it's an outsized power. Yes, and that's right. a totally different thing. Oh yes, outsized that's power right. and influence, and we see yes. it's like a double-edged sword. 
You have all yeah. the power over here. And then you have this Teflon suit to say anti-Semitism if anybody crit yeah. criticizes anything you do. And so yeah. you get to do the most abhorrent things and then get to escape any criticism for it. And here's my thing. To your point about the outsized influence that goes back to the very early stages of this nation's history before the Holocaust, then you certain Jewish entities were participating in a type of Holocaust of African slaves. And so I'm saying, where is that informed insight that says, oh, my God, this is wrong? You would expect that Jewish Americans would be some of the strongest proponents for reparations for the descendants of slaves in the country. Because you've had a situation that happened in the 20th century that informs you, even though it happened in Germany, you have that transferable understanding. And so you should be able to readily see where, oh, my God, we need to use some of this outsized power and influence to ensure that the descendants of slaves get what they are owed for the enslavement and the years of Jim Crow after that. But if you really go back and look in the history, you see, as you suggest, they were some of the biggest beneficiaries of it all. So it's like, hold on here. You know, what's what's really going on? Yeah. Yeah, um, these are really good points. Um, let yeah, me bring in Ashura yeah. really quick. What's going on, um, Ashura? Yeah. You just have to unmute. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna. Okay, yeah. Get on other people on if you're. I can wait. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Anything else, Daniel? Um. Uh. Let's see. Um. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just, I just, I mean, the, the thing is, and also, and also the, the thing I keep on wanting to say when, you know, people talk about the Holocaust is, is, um, the Holocaust happened 80 years ago. So, I mean, my parents, grandparents who, who fled the pogroms, that happened more than a hundred years ago. This is happening now, and the sympathy is going to the people, to Jewish people, who this happened decades ago instead of the people that are suffering right now, the Palestinians, most part. And then the other thing, and the other thing is that, that, and the other thing is that, um, also, also, um, like with the Native Americans, the Jewish people stole the Palestinians' land. That's wealth. They, they stole their ability to profit off of the land. Uh, yeah, so so it definitely it definitely uh, reparations definitely apply there too. But yeah, yeah, definitely. No, I definitely agree with you. Very good insights. Okay, thank you very much. So uh, nothing you. else. All right, let me bring in um, Kirby. You are on the mic. You just have to. Am I unmuted? I don't have I'm a good. lot to add to this conversation. It's great. What I called in about was to inform you that I noticed today I was watching Mid Midwestern Marks and I had been unsubscribed. And so I subscribed. I checked it about half an hour later. I was unsubscribed again. This is from YouTube. I then listened to RBN. I was unsubscribed from RBN. I subscribed to RBN. Half an hour later, I was unsubscribed again. 
So I was just telling people, you got to watch your subscriptions. They, they're, no, they're not only trying to take our freedom of speech, but they're trying to take our freedom of selection. Yeah, I was going to say, um, you guys want to hear something funny? Because they've been doing this for a while. You want to hear something funny? I was unsubscribed from RBN, and I'm an RBN member. Oh, my God. <laughs> yep, that was a, it was a couple months ago. I was like, what the fuck? Like, yeah, so what YouTube does, like, they do these sweeps, and they do this, I think, like, every month or so. What they're supposed to be doing is, and this is why this needs to be manual and not them relying on um, uh, these bots to do this. What they do is like they do these sweeps, these sweeps every month where what they're supposed to be doing is removing accounts that they feel are bots. However, that <laughs> it don't always work out that way. Well, you know, but they don't take you off my subscription list. You were RBM was still on my subscription list. So was I'm going to check everybody. But I was I, my list said I was still subscribed when but when I went to the channel, I was un, I was not. Yeah. So how could that be about bots? So, again, like like I said, like the problem with YouTube is that, number one, YouTube became too big. And what they have basically done, which I don't think they should have done, I think Rockfin did the right thing. Rockfin is worker co-op and Rockfin never wanted Rockfin to become bigger than what it didn't want it to become too big, too fast. So to go along with that, some creators were not happy with Rockfin because in order to actually create content on Rockfin, you have to submit an application they have to review your content and you have to be accepted. Most people that apply to create content on Rockfin are not accepted. That is why there aren't as many channels on Rockfin, okay. but they want that on purpose because the guys that started Rockfin, again, it's, it's like three dudes, okay? So like I've met these guys virtually, so that's the difference. I will never meet the person and talk to the person who owns YouTube. YouTube. I can talk to the guys that own Rockfin via email well, and Google Meet. So, Well, doesn't it affect your income? Different. How many subscrip subscribers you have on YouTube? Yeah, yeah but no, but it's the, the thing is, is that, and I can remind people of this again um, when I go live on Thursday. We used to do this more often where we used to remind people, make sure you're still subscribed because YouTube, what they'll do is like, it's this is not a manual thing. It's not like one person sitting there and saying, oh, I'm going to remove these accounts. YouTube is too big for that. What it is, is it's a system, and Eric might understand this a lot better, but it's a system that goes in and they sweep what they consider to be bot accounts or inactive accounts but they don't always get it right technology well, isn't right i think they're the targeting you katie helper was also one that i noticed they had done that to me uh and you know i don't really put katie helper in the same group as rbn or midwestern marxist you know i put her a little bit different but i think she's been targeted because she's not an israel supporter but we saw this happening at rbn two years ago like this is the thing. This is not new. Um, oh, Kyle I know Kalinsky, what's not there. Yeah, I knew. It yeah, Kyle there. Kalinsky spoke about this a couple years ago. David Pakman spoke about this a couple years ago. So did um, 
Rational National spoke about this. I think this was like five years ago when he said that, like, guys, YouTube is removing uh, subscribers from my account. And he only found out because the subscribers was contacting him and telling him that they were unsubscribed. So YouTube actually has been doing this for years. Um, they also yeah. subscribed me to people I didn't subscribe to. That has happened. So I haven't had that happen, but I've been unsubscribed from the same channels like multiple times, okay. multiple times. But I always do. I, so I've made a habit of like if I watch a video from someone to double check and make sure that I'm subscribed. Um, but the thing is, is and I, I have to be very clear about this so people understand how the how these little spiders that YouTube has that crawl across the YouTube website work. If you subscribe to a channel and you haven't watched any of the content, like you just go to that channel and just hit subscribe, YouTube will consider you to be a bot. So when they go do that bot sweep the next month, they're probably going to sweep you, right? It may not even be that month. It may be later, but they'll, they'll sweep you. That is very key. I learned this because I had to take the, I took a YouTube class. Like a lot of people don't know this. So now you guys are going to find out something different about me. <laughs> I took a YouTube uh, class. It was a couple years. This was back when I was still working at BU and the program that I worked with, the director of the program was considering creating a YouTube channel to recruit students to the programs. So our numbers were starting to hit lower. This was during the pandemic. So because I already had a YouTube channel, he went to me and said, you should probably look into this. So there was, a, I said, there's a class because my channel was small, really a lot smaller at that time. And I said, well, there is a YouTube class. So they paid for it. So I took the YouTube class and that's how I found a lot of this stuff out. So that's why I'm, I'm telling you guys like how they work, how the algorithm works. Now, don't get me wrong with independent media, some of the tools that you learn in that YouTube class are not going to work for independent media because we're automatically suppressed. Right. right. But what I will say is when it comes to certain things, like if you guys are watching someone's channel for the first time, don't like hit subscribe. If you subscribe to that channel and you haven't even watched at least five minutes of the content, you will be signaled as a bot. They'll flag you as a bot because that's what a bot would do. A bot would just come in and just subscribe and not actually watch any of the content. So that's one thing about YouTube. I this bet there's a lot of bots, though, for there other. Are. There are. Yeah, a lot of bots for other subscriptions that they don't bother removing. Okay. <laughs> you know, well, I, I just I think, think they're think using they're... this to target a lot of uh, voices that are descending. And uh, I just wanted to let you know I'm off work and I'm going to leave you, but I appreciate you listening to me for the moment. And I will talk to you again, maybe. Awesome. Thank you so much. Later. All right. And I'll, um, I'll bring in a kid, but what I was going to say is that um, there are some channels that are going to be protected, especially those that are like the larger channels and the ones that produce a lot of money for YouTube. They're more likely to be protected. Uh, but go ahead, um, a kid. But yeah, YouTube is, that's what I was trying to tell people before. Like they come in and they just remove people and you don't realize it until you just happen to look on the channel and realize you're unsubscribed. What's up, hey, Eric? Savvy. Hey, thank you for taking my call. Sorry, I kept 
having to call back and forth because some people were calling me and every time I get a call on the phone, it, it drops me from the call in. I can still see the app on, but it goes mute. So I have to like reboot the app every time somebody calls my number. So usually what I do is I have to tell people, especially my girl, like, don't call me now because I'm going to talk to savvy. <laughs> so I end up doing that every time I call you, I, I actually tell my, my lady, don't call me right now. Cause I'm going to, I'm waiting for Savvy to talk to me. That must go over well with her. Oh, no. Yeah, she loves, I mean, she knows who Savvy is. So <laughs> she, she knows. But, I'm you know, talking I, to I, another I wanted, woman. Chill out. <laughs> that's right. I, I wanted to share something because I was watching a movie this past weekend, an 80s movie, late 80s, Mississippi, Mississippi Burning. And it kind of really made me reflect on, you know, some of the things that, that uh, basically – we hear on the show, especially from Noel, you know, having uh, black folks be at the bottom and creating that, that baseline. And in the movie, there's a scene, and mind you, this is a 35, 36 year old movie based on something that happened in the sixties, early sixties. So the move, uh, the, the event that happened there in Mississippi is like more than 60 years old, I think, or thereabouts. And so the two main characters are talking about, they're driving, uh, somewhere in the middle of the movie, and one guy's telling the story about his dad, right? That his dad, um, they had a farm of some sort, but there was a black man who had created a new farm and had a pig or, or had a, not a pig, I think he had like a, like a mule or something. Maybe it was a pig, I can't remember. But essentially, the moral of the story was his dad ended up killing this black man's mule or, or animal that he had in the farm because everybody was making fun of him that this black man had risen, was better than him, you know? And essentially, uh, the, the son finds out that, hey, he's the one, his father killed this black man's uh, animal, and the black guy had to leave his farm. And eventually, you know, uh, the point of the story was that, hey, my dad ended up killing this black man's uh, animal because everybody was making fun of him, and he had a feel that he was better than the black guy. He couldn't be at the bottom, you know what I mean? Which is what Noel talks about all the time, that because of that, it's part of the reason that we never get past, you know, getting the reparations to folks, black folks, because uh, to Noel's point that she's made over and over, our society doesn't want that because if we do give people, you know, this monetary resources that they deserve, it would disrupt everything. Everything would change, right? You wouldn't have black people at the bottom. That would change everything if, if that was to happen. And that paradigm, it would annihilate a lot of things, right? The whole system would have to change if that was to happen. And, you know, from going from that, you know, looking at Black Wall Street, right? Black Wall Street in Oklahoma, when that came about, the black folks in that community built this wall street and in part they became better because they were uh, doing, uh, they were doing business with each other. Even though the, the white community was against them, the black folks were, were basically almost forced to just do business with themselves to some degree and thereby prosper, you know, and eventually, you know, it got destroyed by the white folks there or whatnot. But, the point is, you know, I wanted to tie it back to, you know, you were mentioning about Chinese folks or Asian folks, let's just say, who come out here from other countries and they'll get places, they'll get businesses. 
not, not always do they get loans. You know, I have a lot of people that are happen to be Chinese in my life uh, that I've grown up with for years and decades even. Uh, they actually pool their money together as a community, as a family. They'll put money together. And then one person will go and get a business started. And then eventually they pay back that money to whoever, you know, had pulled the money to them. And then they do the same for someone else down the road. And they're constantly doing that. They're helping each other, right? So they have that. And then they also have an emphasis on education. Normally, not always, but they have a big emphasis that they'll work their ass off. And if they have kids, they're going to push their resources to make sure that the kids get the best and they go to the best schools and so on. And, and that goes across many Asian, uh, you know, communities, not all of them. There's some Asian communities who, who are a little bit different, uh, but suffice to say, I've seen that with my own eyes, you know, that they actually push this educational agenda on their kids and that they work their asses off. And also be, being that I'm an immigrant, you know, I've also seen firsthand, my own observations, right? right? They're an- anecdotal, but I've seen them multiple times growing up. A lot of times the immigrants that come here, they work their ass off. They're, then many times, the, sometimes the first time generation kids, they don't work as hard. Uh, and a lot of those, you know, I, and I saw this with my own eyes growing up in, in the Bay Area. Many of my Mexican friends who were just first time immigrants, they were working their asses off them and their parents. And then I saw other uh, Mexican families who were uh, maybe here already first generation. They were, they were different. It was, it was, there was a different dynamic to it. And being because I, I did grow up in the Bay Area, I saw many cultures, you know, uh, from different places. And I got to experience even um, some Africans later in life when I was in college. And I saw very distinct the way that the Black Africans moved and the way they taught about the way their thinking was it was very different than many of my dear black friends that I grew up with side by side. You know, I had friends that I grew up growing up with that were African American from here. And then I met these African guys who were in college. You know, they had come here when they were much older. But one of the things that I saw, and I, I don't know, you know, I'll ask you, Savvy, and maybe Noel and others, their mentality was they had no limitations of how they looked at life, even though they were black and they were going to face racism, which they do because they're, you know, they're black. Right. But their mentality was, they don't care. They're going to break through whatever they have to break through. That doesn't mean it, it was easy, but their mentality was different. And I think what's happened to our black people here in America, hundreds and hundreds of years of them being pounded that they're supposed to be at the bottom that stuff gets into their psyche and to the family and it's hard. And, and, and then you have the systems, right? The tell them not just, it's not just in their mind, but it's actual systems where you have redlining with housing, uh, whatever it is of oppression, all this is, it, it keeps the black person down at the bottom. And then going back to Mississippi burning is this, this thing that, you know, America doesn't want to have the change because like that guy said in the movie, then what is he going to do? He doesn't think he's better than a black person. He won't have that anymore. So it keeps this never ending thing. Uh, so I, I wanted to share that with you guys. Those are really good points. Um, I think that, you know, everybody has 
you know, when we talk about like minority groups in the U.S., we have different experiences, um, especially, you know, if you're an immigrant versus if you were born here, et cetera. But one thing I have noticed, though, still is that for black people, we're still at the bottom. Like we're we're never given these resources and these, you know, opportunities that are given to other minority groups in this country. I mean, we still have like, although they say we don't have redlining anymore, we still have the practices by real estate agents where like they won't show you a house in a certain area if you're a certain race. Um, and that's that's still very much a problem. Whereas, you know, if I were Asian American, it, it would be no problem. Like if if you go into an all white affluent neighborhood and you want to look at a house and you contact that real estate agent and they see that you're Asian American, they're more likely to show you that house versus if you're black American, unless you're like a celebrity. And so I think that's, that's a big, we still have these issues in our country. And like I said before, one thing that Germany did, although Germany doing some fucked up shit right now, one thing Germany did is that they acknowledged the Holocaust and they paid reparations to Jewish people because of what happened to all of them, not just to, to people who were a part of the Holocaust and survived, but, you know, I've, and I've heard this from friends of mine who are Jewish, like they can go to Israel for their birthright. It's an all paid expense trip. They don't have to pay anything. Um, but black, black Americans, those of us who are descendants of slavery, we're not given anything. We're not given a birthright to Africa. I don't see anybody in, in our U.S. government trying to pay for black people to have a trip to Africa so we can revisit our roots. You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. and, and so when people bring up the, the atrocities that did happen to Jewish people, you know, the Holocaust was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. And I acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. At the same time, slavery was also horrible horrible and that happened here on u.s soil and i see our u.s politicians being more willing to support people in other countries but they're not willing to support give that same type of support to african americans in this country that are descendants of slavery and that's the big problem they can send 8.3 billion dollars to israel every year but they don't want to give us anything. They want to keep black people in this country in poverty and in the ghettos. And that has been established by laws that they created in this country. It's, it's terrible. Now, you know, I also wanted to talk about Elon Musk and, you know, the fact that he went over there, which is to me, is just odd that, you know, somebody from a big company is going to go to another country it doesn't make sense. Now, one of my friends told me, and I don't maybe the, the, the rest of the group here would know, he mentioned to me that I guess a lot of the big uh, companies pulled their advertising from, from Twitter or X. I don't know if, 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 you know, if it was last week or whatever, but Apple and others were pulling their, their advertising because of yep. what, whatever Elon was doing and that maybe that precipitated him going after and, and going over there, which completely doesn't make any sense, you know, that he's going to go meet with this guy. Now, the, 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 the thing that's happened is it's undeniable. We can see, you know, on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, pick your platform, the images have been coming across nonstop uh, to what Israel has been doing out there. Uh, so it's undeniable. So when Elon talks, like, you know, I was listening when, when, when you were showing him today, Savvy, like, 
you can't you can't lie to us. We we could see it ourselves. Like you know, what are you talking about? You know, like when he went into the houses, there's like no houses in Gaza. They're all been demolished, and he's going into a house. So it's just it's very unbelievable what he's doing. But he's doing it for money. Obviously, he's doing this for money. Uh, and yep. like to your, to your point earlier on your show, this this guy is not to be believed. You know. Uh, He's doing it for money, and we have to remember these things. Even today, I think I saw a post where Ro Khanna was speaking about ceasefire, and I've been keeping an eye on him. He has not said much on his post. He has been talking about corruption in California and, and, and all this other stuff, but he was not talking about Gaza or Israel, and now he's talking about it. So, you know, something has changed. They all kind of know that they're going to have to make a, a, a shift on how they talk about this now because it's just on Deniable, and because uh, the Democratic Party is going to pay for this, you know, come next year they're going to pay for it. People are not going to forget about it. Uh, hey, uh, so. Well, I just I just want to add real quick, and I'll let you go, Roger. But one thing I wanted to add is, you know, there was a Jewish woman who was a constituent of Rokana's, and she did kind of like shoot him out in a conference call where she told him that, you know, his his vote is not guaranteed, and his presidential uh, ambitions can be kissed goodbye. Did she hand so him no, his I, I ass? Yep. What was that? Yep. Yeah, so he, you know, he was, uh, I saw that, I think it was on C-SPAN, uh, and he had a take what the lady said, uh, and it was really awesome, because she put it in, in a matter of seconds, you know, really called them out to his face. Uh, that was awesome. I actually saw that last week, and, and I think you, maybe you showed it too. But I saw it on a couple of shows, so it's been getting out there. Uh, I think. Uh, yes, Roger. I think um, it goes more to being having making sure black people stay a permanent underclass. Um, here's another. Here's another prism to look through it. Maybe it's not to make sure that we stay at the bottom, but maybe they can't stand the fact that we don't need them. That if we were to find our legs and we don't need them, they can't, they, you know, like, like they want us dependent upon this system, upon them to decide whether or not they're going to extend this to us, extend that to us, so on and so forth. So that that's another prism to look at it through. And also, um, Sabrina, so you was talking about the, uh, the redlining and the other thing about the uh, realtors, um, you know, uh, showing houses and appraisals and stuff like that. There was some, there's a story that, that just came out, the, uh, the National Association of Realtors the government was just cracking down on them. It was finding out that they were artificially inflating their prices to grow their commissions. So this is like a lawsuit that was brought against them. And it could end up bringing down home prices. So it's like it's like shaking up the uh, real estate industry, where it's like having the effect of breaking up the monopoly in housing without actually employing, enforcing any trust. But it was it was done with this this lawsuit. Um, so it might not be as lucrative 
to be a real realtor from this point on. Um, so, you know, that that's something that, you know, you might be interested in. Um, also, um, I, I just want to say this real quick. Uh, uh, Bendu, I was thinking about this a lot. I was never a fan of country music, but I learned to respect it. And the reason why I say that is, if you ever notice, in the in the um, around like ninety one and ninety two, they pushed out all of the revolutionary um, uh, uh, hip hop uh, musicians. You know, they pushed out the KRS ones and the Public Enemies and X Clan and so on and so forth, and they cut that pipeline of new voices of that crowd to replace them. And, you know, they replaced with gangster rap and two live crew and all that different other type of things, so on and so forth. And since then, you know, they brought in the champagne bottle popping, uh, sorry, champagne popping, you know, the whole thing of, of, of in hip hop became this epitome of capitalism and what's that other thing? Um, materialism. So on and so forth. Basically, and everything like the mafioso rap and all that nonsense. Oh, God. Yes, I know. Um, but here's the thing I came to respect country because if you listen to them, when they're not singing about love and, you know, I love you and so on and so forth, they talk about a perspective of, they speak from a working man and woman's perspective on life. Yeah. And, you know, I never listen to country, but it's just something I just happen to note. I just noticed that in the last year or so. I, I have. I, I listen to country, but you're mm -hmm. right. They they never talk about it from the bourgeoisie, you know. Big so money. Yeah, it's always about the working, the working man perspective. You're right. You know, blue jeans and a beer after work or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, too, like, on the Elon front, um, I think it was Eric that was talking about it with the Elon stuff. So I had peeped that because, like, within this whole Israel-Palestine conflict situation, it's been, like, a little, like, mini civil war on, like, the right between, like, the Tucker Carlson crowd and, like, almost, like, the Ben Shapiro crowd where the people with Tucker are basically saying like, hey, like we've supported Israel all this time. Meanwhile, we feel like people within the Zionist movement, the Jewish community have been, you know, sponsoring this anti-white rhetoric on college campuses. And now it's coming back to bite you guys in the ass and we're supposed to care. Nope, I don't think so. And then the other Ben Shapiro side is just like basically throwing a temper tantrum because of it and calling everybody anti, you know, oh, you guys just hate Jewish people or whatever. But, um, Elon had actually liked a tweet that was like basically going along with that sentiment where like basically like, you know, the Jewish community has been pushing anti-white stuff on college campuses and like literally somebody saw that fucking tweet. And it's like, it's like, it's kind of like that Dave Chappelle joke. Like, you know, now made, made a call and next thing you know, all the, like all the big ones, Disney, uh, Paramount, all the big companies, their funding and then it was it's almost like this motherfucker's been like begging for them to come back ever since so i i knew this was coming him visiting there i was like oh he's about to go kiss the ring because they tried to make Kyrie do the same thing they tried to make kanye do the same thing like that they tried to make them all do the same they even tried to get i think they tried to get jamie fox at one point too they said he said something um and he kissed the ring real quick before it even got to that point but um but yeah so 
that's what he's doing right now. And it's like, it's just funny to see because like, if you look at what a lot of what Elon has been saying and retweeting, like I noticed when it comes to like other groups, like when it comes to migrants, when it comes to black people, like that's what I, you know, that's kind of like what I was saying earlier. You never see the same type of response as when like you say something negative about that community to where like they're making the richest guy in the world basically right now cry uncle right now like in front of the whole fucking world and you know come kiss netanyahu's ring and they don't even like netanyahu which is the funny part but they're like yeah you got to go kiss his ring bro and it's like you know that just goes you know to me that just goes to show you know the power you know the political power and institutional power you know, that group has, and that's not to like shit on, you know, the regular people within that group or anything, but it's just, you know, it's just pointing that out. Like, like, for example, like, you know, black people have been, you know, complaining about people like, you know, Larry Elder and uh, Candace Owens and uh, what's the other guy, Thomas Sowell forever, how like, yo, like, they're not representative of what we're saying, you know, we'll tell conservative white people that all the time, but it's kind of like, oh, you got to put up with it because, this white guy is funding this person that like it's it's like other groups are funding other people to diminish us and shit on us and then when we try to set the record straight or even if we say like hey look we agree with some some of the points this person's saying but overall it's detrimental and not helping it's like nope this is this makes us feel comfortable it makes us feel good so we're going to keep throwing money behind this person and you see you know it's when candace crosses that line with you know another with with that community now she's anti-Semitic. Like you, you're seeing her getting removed from all of these like places where you know when she was putting out documentaries about you know George Floyd died from an overdose or some shit like that. You know that that's perfectly fine, but saying hey we shouldn't be like funding the bombing of kids and now all of a sudden like she's the worst person on the face of the planet. So yeah, it, you know, Savvy, I, I did want to. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I just wanted to say briefly, Eric, to your point about the um, immigrant. <laughs> people of African descent or otherwise people of color. One of the things in terms of the mentality you say you witnessed when you were um, in college or what have you, you have to take into account that a lot of the black people from Africa and other spaces who come to the United States are not coming from the bottom of the social structures where they are indigenous. They're coming from the elite classes and the upper, you know, cast as Kamala Harris and even um, what's the girl name who's running for the Republican nomination, Nimrata. Um, these people are coming from elite cast and class where when they come to this nation, they have already had, you know, lineages in their home nations that had them at the top. So their mentality is a different construct than the mentality of a descendant of slave who has been oppressed in this system from start to finish. So they do come with a type of elite, you know, framing. And, you know, especially the people like Nimrata, whose parents come here with, you know, doctorate degrees and this and that, they're, you know, almost automatically catapulted to at least an upper middle class existence. And so that mindset and expectation to achieve and they can take on the world and do anything is already there. And I've, you know, I've confronted that in my own existence when, you know, you encounter some of the um, 
Africanized immigrants and they're, you know, they had this attitude like, oh, you all just don't take advantage and this and that. And I'm like, boo, quit. Because it's a whole different thing. And like I say, any immigrants who come to this country are coming, A, to either seek opportunity or B, fleeing some type of oppression. That is not the reality of a descendant of chattel slavery. Our people were brought here against their will. They were enslaved. And since that point, we have had to deal with what it has meant to be to be owned in a system. You know, they don't have that necessarily. And so that accounts for sometimes the differences in the mentality. Yeah. And, and, and I agree with that, you know, and I, you know, one of my other observations too, uh, you know, growing up is that a lot of black folks are very open to other people, you know, very welcoming, uh, which is not the case with everybody else. And, and, you know, that's something that I experienced too, wherever I went, uh, many black folks were very welcoming to me. Um, and so, you know, anyhow, that's another observation of just seeing how the black folks are always welcoming to others, you know, like they're opening up their arms to say, hey, you're okay. Uh, and I've experienced that, you know, not only at school, but also at my jobs with, you know, many black managers that I had who were, you know, some of the best ones that I've ever had too, very mentoring and welcoming to me because, you know, not only am I a minority, but they've also had to go through many struggles. So whenever I would connect with them, I didn't have to, you know, we had a shorthand of communication because we could, to some degree, they could understand some of my plight uh, because of that. Uh, but I wanted to go back to, you know, Israel and, you know, what's been happening there and how everything's been demolished uh, and how is that going to be fixed for the Palestinians? You know, all these buildings and homes that were destroyed. And how are those poor people going to go back if they can even go back? Um, and then, you know, how we have been sending, not us, but, you know, the, the, the government's been sending our money over there to Israel. And yet here, you know, things are just falling apart all over the place. You know, homeless, like you couldn't believe everywhere. Uh, and so instead of focusing on trying to fix what we have, the problems that we do have here, we're not doing any of that. And all these other countries, you know, whether it's China, and I'll just use China as an example, they are moving in a more productive manner. You know, I mean, they have their own agenda, but they're not demolishing and destroying everything in sight, per se. And we are... I think our country is definitely, the empire is definitely falling apart because instead of putting the money back into us, our people, our education, our healthcare, none of the things that we want are happening. And we're sending the money to the places where we shouldn't be sending the money to. And it just seems like an abyss of, you know, just a spiral, you know, when I start to look down the road, because there, we don't have the systems in place to check, you know, whether it's, we, we have all this money in politics, so it, it, it perpetuates the problems that we have because we can't get the money out of politics. So you have the two-party system. And then they put the money back into uh, the military-industrial complex, and it's just this ending, never-ending loop where you know the money goes back into those companies, into whatever their agenda is. Those people get enriched, and we keep getting you know poorer and poorer. And you know eventually we're going to become like many – 
many countries where you have like in Brazil, you know, where you have a lot of rich, rich people and the majority of the people are at the bottom and then crime, you know, you have crime everywhere where, you know, people will, will shoot somebody for, you know, a hundred dollars or maybe less. And you have to have all kinds of security everywhere. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't see no end in sight. I don't see a light of the tunnel <laughs> per se. You know, I, I don't know what you guys see, but that to me, that's what I'm seeing is like, well, I see the same thing, but here's the thing. When you look at it, there is nothing in the foundations or precepts of capitalism that organically says to give back or to repair. It's all about exploitation and extraction. And so with that type of ideology, an understandable and acceptable byproduct is you're going to produce a lot of poverty. You're going to produce a lot of, you know, crumbling infrastructure, and we just go along with it. But see, the narrative around America and the capitalist thing has been one thing, but the reality has been something totally different. They tell you about, oh, the rugged individual and how, you know, they moved out west and they built this out and built this, that and a third. But they never talk about at what cost, Hmm. you know, when the United States government was assisting American corporations to relocate portions of their operations abroad, there was no consideration given to the fact that you would snatch the rug out of the middle class in America. Nobody cared about that. It was just all about cheap labor, this and that. But if that is the way your system works, there is no look back to say, oh, what was the result of that? What did we do? There's nothing to make capitalists feel obligated to confront or contend with what the damages that they create as they pursue property and capital. So if you're relocating your factory to Mexico or China because you get cheaper labor, nothing in that whole network and decision-making process says, but now what will be the impact on the community once I leave? That's, you know, And the government doesn't step in to pick up the pieces or anything, but there is nothing innately in a capitalist structure to prompt the corporation to say, wait a minute, we may be able to go and get cheaper labor here, but what does it do at home? What does it happen? You know, what is the impact of America? Where's your sense of, you know, America and patriotism to not want to snatch the rug? from under your compatriots' feet. There's nothing in capitalism to address that. And that's why it goes along. And as we see all these negative side effects, no one is really, you know, in terms of the governance structure, no one is really alarmed about it. Nobody wants to seem to connect the dots because, hey, that's the American way. You exploit it till it drops dead and then you move on to the next one. You know, so it is, you know, it's really tragic. But, you know, as goes the least of us will go the rest of us in time. And I just see I just don't see anything on the horizon that suggests that this country is prepared to move in a a different direction. All that we talk about is consumerism, consumerism. And that just does not do it. And, you know, we 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 pay the price. Yeah, I, I see more of this coming you know, in the decades to come, unless, 
you know, unless something changes, drastically changes, I don't see how we can get out of it. Uh, I mean, I, obviously, I think all of us here would want things to change for the better. Otherwise, we wouldn't be here talking, per se, or, or doing what we do uh, in supporting activism and, and what have you. Uh, but the reality is the system that's in place right now, it's, it's structured to essentially annihilate us, the common everyday person, at the, at, you know, at the cost of our lives and whatnot for the profit, the consumerism, capitalism, and the few people at the very top. And to your point, Noel, uh, no one really cares. We just kind of move on to the next thing and it just keeps going and going. And any anyone who's tried to unite or do different has been you know, taken out in a sense. Anyone that has tried to do anything, they just take them out. You know, literally, you know, they're they're gone. Uh, so I I don't know if it's going to change in my lifetime. I mean, I'm I'm always positive, and I, I'm definitely you know willing to say, hey, I'm never going to give up. But but it is very sad and sad to see this happening. You know, especially with Palestine, because it's so in our face. You know, we know that these people are people of color. They're being killed by thousands and thousands, you know, over the last several weeks. And our government hasn't done shit, you know, to really help them until now because of the protests and so many people pushing back. Right. But, you know, even Savvy says, where's the, you know, where's, where's the voices for black people's reparations? We don't hear that. You know, where's there more voices to, to help out the people in Flint, Michigan or, or Hawaii or whatever. It hasn't happened. This has, you know, galvanized a whole bunch of people because it's in our face and we can see it. A lot of the things that are happening in America are sort of slower pace, you know, but rest assured, you know, like I, I watch on Instagram, all these companies that are asking people for money to donate for food because there's all these kids in America starving or not starving, but they don't have enough food. And I say to myself, well, how is that possible? You know, and I even get these other, uh, feeds for um, giving money to, uh, I think it's called St. Jude's, which is like a hospital for children. And I'm like, well, we're sending all this freaking money, all these places. How come we don't put the money back into these hospitals, uh, you know, to help these kids? We shouldn't even be asked. That, that should just be happening automatically. But it doesn't happen automatically. The money goes automatically to, to these other, you know, to, to these uh, defense contractors. And our politicians, they vote for that. They send the money for that. And then they turn around and ask us for money for donations. And then you see them, and, and then you'll see them giving out turkeys. Like I think I saw AOC on Instagram last week where she was, you know, handing out food to the people in her district. And I'm like, that shouldn't even be happening. We have enough money. We've sent all these freaking billions of dollars overseas. There should be a plenty of food everywhere, you know, for everybody to have a place to eat and what. But it doesn't work that way. And to me, that that's where, like, now, as I've gotten older, and I didn't think about this, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I didn't see that. I, di I couldn't connect the dots. I couldn't comprehend. The way that I used to look at it was like the everyday American. Oh, wow. she, You know, this is the way I would have thought of AOC. Oh, great. You know, she's she's helping these people. She's giving them food. But that's because I couldn't connect the dots back then. But now I can. And I can see through the feed all these people that are saying, oh, great. She should, she should be our next president. 
And I'm like, man, because they can't see. And that's the majority of the people. They can't really connect how all these things sort of work. And that's when I always go back to saying we need to use the systems that are already being used on us to push our own agendas, the way of marketing and whatever it is. We don't need the whole country to make a change. We just need about 3% or, or so about, and we can move the needle one way or the other. So I, I'm going to give someone else a chance to talk, Savvy, but, you know, I always go back to that. And I think it, it was Ralph Nader who says that uh, in earlier years where he says, we only need a small percentage of the people to make these people scared of what we need them to do. Because once they get scared, they'll do what we want them to do. And that's what we need to do. We, they need to be scared of us. And then they'll do what we want them to do. But we need more organizing. You know, I know uh, Roger always talks about uh, not focusing on the electoral, the electoral part of, of what we do, but more so at the local level and making changes that way. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right, thank you so much, Eric. Let's bring in Ashura, and I got a couple minutes left, and then I'm gonna head out. What's up, um, Ashura? I know you wanted to add a couple other points. You just gotta um, unmute. Yeah, I'm back. Um, I thought log off on your call, and I, I uh, was on your YouTube channel, and somebody said that uh, Gabor Mate was on Pierce Morgan, and I was wondering, uh, are you gonna do a, you know, a more pro-Palestinian Pierce Morgan segments one after the other, or it's just a Norm Finkelstein one? I don't see Aramate on Pierce Morgan. Not Aramate, Gabor Mate. Oh! I could do that one as well. I'm just I'm just basically trying to see if Pierce Morgan is going to eventually cave, but again, I don't think oh, that he will cave because um, and I say that because I don't think he will because again, because of who owns the network, so there's that. Well, he's a Zionist. He's a conflicted Zionist with a conscience. That's what I say. Uh, it was funny though. It was 20 minutes. I'm like, what the fuck? Why is what? Why is 20 minutes like the second time? And as I came back into the stream, I heard Roger was talking about uh, Hakeem Jeffries, uh, Hakeem Jeffries' uncle, and then Noel was talking about uh, harm that was done back then and healing. And that was the same shit that uh, Gabor Mate was saying in the in the, in the uh, interview with him, with him. He didn't. There was no. Do you condemn Hamas? I was waiting for him to like. Where, when? Do, where's the do you condemn Hamas shit? Like there was no. There was none of that. I guess he probably he, he knew that uh, who Gabor Mate is, so he's probably gonna get slapped if he basically tries to pull that shit with him. Although one thing though that got Pierce riled up was Meghan Markle and Harry. Once they got to that one, <laughs> his feathers were ruffled. Oh, boy. Yeah, like, oh, you could tell he, the contempt he had for Harry. He's like, man, your your, fa your your grandfather died and you didn't go see him. Your your grandmother died. <laughs> I was like, bro, this dude is, like, on on the monarchy. Like, if he had a dick, he'd be, it'd, be, it'd be in his mouth. Yeah, I mean, I I, I just, I, I think that, like, people like Pierce, I think that they're still part of that old school, um, like, British, like, way of thinking, and I don't know. Like, I, I just, 
for me, I think that's starting to disappear. Um, How long may, did that take? He may have issues with that. Because if you were to ask him, hey, do you think the British, like especially Queen Elizabeth that he loves so much, I think she was uh, in office for what, 70 years or some shit or 50 years? There's no way she didn't, she, she, she wasn't like present when that shit was happening. The Nakba. There's no fucking way. Well, I mean, what was she going to say? I mean, she comes from a family of colonizers. No, no, no. Like, if she fucking denies she didn't know or some bullshit. Cause I'd no, be fucking... I, don't, I don't think she could. I don't think she would have denied it, to be honest with you. Yeah, because um, apparently um, there's a couple of things in that interview. I was like, kind of weird. <laughs> it was very surprising. I thought Aaron was an only child. Apparently, uh, he's not. Yeah, I saw I saw his brother on um, this is Revolution podcast before. Oh, I didn't know. I thought he was. I always thought he was an only child. And uh, Gabor Mate also surprised me. He told me he was a Zionist. I was like, "What?" Yeah, but then when he explained, you're like, "Oh, okay, that made fucking sense." Because he, after what his what happened to him, and when he was younger, he said he he believed at the time in the state of Israel. And but then when he went there, and he saw it, and he said at some point there was a talk about um, Harry and his family, how Pierce Margaret was mad about that shit. He was going into Harry, called him the the bad members of the family. He brought up the fact that Harry's family was is dysfunctional. The dad was a fucking cheater when he before he was born, and the mom wasn't. Uh, it wasn't. It was a loveless marriage. And and he was talking about how when he found out about the Israel Palestine shit, that his father kicked him out when he was in his twenties, and then he did reconciliation because there was a talk about well, what's it like to be free, and uh, being your own person. And there was there was a talk about it, and he said there's a difference between basically reconciliation or you could be a free person, just not don't care about it and you just stick with your principles. But he did say that some families can can heal, and some there just no hope about it. But it is a very in, uh, insightful uh, interview if you watch it. And the once again, the comments were positive. Yeah. So I think what people have to understand is that um, the British family has a lot of baggage, man. Like a lot of baggage. Like Edward the Eighth. I believe was a part of the Nazi party. Damn. They had ties to the Nazi party. So for people who don't know that they had ties there. If you actually watch the show, the crown on uh, Netflix, they actually explain this very well. I just recommend that you, after you watch each episode, you Google to see what was true and what wasn't true. But for the most part, when it comes to the historical stuff, they hit that spot on this family has a lot of issues like just things that you don't know about like there's the obvious things about the diana thing and charles wasn't faithful and all that kind of stuff but there's other things that happened even way before charles and diana were in the picture that the the family is just it's just they were horrible up. they were horrible people like I'm, I'm it just is what it is that's why when i say i don't give a fuck about king charles and the monarchy I mean that, like, if they were horrible people, 
and the queen's uh, husband at the time, uh, Philip, also was a horrible person. And if Pierce Morgan should maybe talk about that, if he wants to talk about people cheating, because Philip was also cheating on Queen Elizabeth as well. And he was cheating on her with indigenous women on other islands. He used to take these little trips and stuff like that. And he would go sleep with indigenous women on other islands, probably giving them all kinds of diseases. Who knows? I guess that that's where a Andrew got his stick from his uncle. So, I mean, you got Andrew who's a fucking pedophile. No, I I just I just know that they're they're horrible people. All like the, the whole family is just horrible. Like if you you learn more about what the family did, then you understand that like holy shit, these people were fucking awful. Like all the countries that they fucking colonized, all the countries that they and the other thing too is like Queen Elizabeth for a long time didn't even make decisions on her own. Like there were men, like some of the men that were part of her basically administration, they were the ones calling the shots for a long, long time, a long, long time. Because they didn't believe that a woman could do the job. Well, she was basically, uh, what they could waving the genocide. She was waving every time she always does that wave. I'm like, how many people have you fucking killed? Yeah. I mean, it's it's awful. I I do have to get going, um, but I just wanted to just circle back around really quick. Oh, one more thing. I'll just say this one thing. Uh, we know that Candace Owens, um, she's gone on maternity leave, and we all know that with the Ben Shapiro shit and the fact that he, well, I didn't know. I thought Ben Shapiro owned the Wire, but it turns out he didn't own the the Wire, the Daily Wire. And and as and she was saying, like, well, she should leave. I guess he doesn't want to fire her, so she doesn't sue him. And I feel like her going on a maternity leave, I guess that's the back door they need to just not have her come back. Well, he can't fire her. He's no, I'm not, not saying I'm not saying he can't. I'm just saying the person who owns it. I I'm, I feel like I, that's probably the reason why they can fire her. Just just claim she was on maternity leave, and then they can't keep her anymore. I don't even think it's just that. Like, I think firing her would be a bad mistake. Candace Owens does have an audience. She does have a significant following. And her viewers, like I said, if you watch the interview with her and Norm Finkelstein, the comments were actually positive. Mm. So there, there is a base for, you know, Candace Owens. And she knows that. That's why she knew she could say the things that she said, because she knew that she had a base that would back her. Yeah. Imagine if the squad took that uh, um, approach. Hey, I got a base that backs me, so I'm going to do this. Uh, is it true, Sabrina, that uh, Rashida Tlaib, uh she voted for any Israel bill whatsoever? I I was talking to Golden Monarch. He said that uh, Rashida did basically vote for the Iron Dome. I'm pretty sure like that she would be voting for the destruction of her own people. Um, I don't think she... Let me double check. You got to remember too. One of the games they play, <clears throat> excuse me, is that they allow them to vote against things as long as it won't uh, change the outcome. So they allow them to have these performative votes. No, she did not. She did not vote for the Iron Dome. 
Yeah, I was like, eh, no way she's gonna, <laughs> no way she's gonna do that shit. No, she is. She is not voted for this stuff. Like I will say that, like when it comes to the Palestinian people, she is not voted on the side of Israel. I just looked it up. Yeah, okay, because the only person I know that fucked up was Omar. Yeah, but again, it doesn't even matter. They, it, they, 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 they never used their collective. You know, um, they never formed a voting block to exercise any power and, and they could have, you know, they're Democrats first and careerist. Oh, speaking of uh, Gabo Marte, I, I wanted to mention there's a really good interview out there with Gabo, Gabo, Gabor Marte, Mate and um, Cornell West. They had a really good conversation. And the one other thing I wanted to um, say to Eric, who was talking about, how we have the money cir- you know, circulating where the, the billionaires and the big companies and the defense contractors put it in to Congress and then Congress sends the money back out in terms of war contracts and all these other things. So like, so what do we call that? Right. There's a word for that. <laughs> and the word, you know, is corruption. And so, you know, there's the C, you know, in, in, in what's our demand? You know, our, our demand is to to get rid of corruption, get rid of these corrupt politicians. And then, you know, you start talking about solutions. And so if you want to have something happening and some hope and something to strive for, you know, I, I think when we talk about these things, we should finish finish the loop, finish the, the journey to, you know, the demands and the solutions. Uh, do you think uh, when it comes to the conflict with Israel, should you go back to the 60s or 1947? Because Gomorrah Bonte felt like if going back to 1947, before the, before the, around the Nakba, he doesn't feel like that's going to be enough for healing. Because he talked about a lot about that. They didn't get to healing when it comes to the conflict between Israel and Palestine. It'll never be... Uh, it'll, it will never We're be... We're not even close to that. I mean, you can't handle anybody while you're bombing them. You know, it's, of course, you know, we have to stop the current war, not even a war, the current genocide. And in order to do that, like if you view Israel-Palestine in a vacuum, it, it looks pretty hopeless. I mean, because, you know, it's just part of a bigger picture. And so these solutions are going to have to go up up the chain and, you know, to the root to mix my metaphors into and to have real big systemic fixes. And that means, you know, getting a mass movement to say, you know, the, the end the corruption and, um, and fix the system in a big way. And then that'll, that'll end up in a lot of other things getting fixed. Oh, I get so we, that. Ha- we have to believe it's possible. And we have to imagine a better world, right? Well, I get that part. I'm just saying that um, he wants to go back about 1960s, I'm I'm more of a 1947 when it comes to the idea of, you know, unification. Land back. Yep. Yeah, I mean, if, if we have a U.S. government that's actually, you know, working for the 99%, that's actually not totally, ridiculously, <laughs> incredibly, implacably corrupt, <laughs> and we swap that out with the one that's that's really doing the right things for the mass of people, the working people, the sky's the limit to what could be possible. 
you know, but you, <laughs> I know it's hard to imagine, but it's, um, it would be an, an unimaginable change. Mm. All right, guys, I'm going to head out. So I'll just circle around. Sabrina, I just wanted to say that I still um, would appreciate if you would cover my story, but I've been trying to give some thought to what information to provide because I don't want to overwhelm you with information, but I do want to provide you the fundamentals so that the story makes sense and is complete. But I will be giving thought to that and providing you with certain information. Does that mean yeah, you're just be, just email it to me? Okay. Does that mean you're, you're gonna be live on the show, Noel? Does that mean what? You're gonna be live on the show? Well, at least my voice, I don't have you know, I only have my cell phone, so I don't know if that will, you know, get my image up there, but of course I would, you know, do whatever it took to support and be able to respond to any questions Sabrina might have in terms of what has happened to me. Yeah, because I know they had to poke Roger to get him on on, on stream. Yeah, <laughs> we did. Oh, Roger's yeah. hopeless. <laughs> and uh, your your French wasn't that bad, Noel. The the French word you use, accoutrement, it's not bad. I was wondering, like maybe you have maybe a French person in the family. No, we is all in words. <laughs> okay, because <laughs> okay, I'm like Noel. That's like a French name. It just means Christmas. I'm like, oh, she must. Probably have somebody French in the family. <laughs> uh uh. Bonjour. <laughs> Sab, I just wanted to say this. Do you know the um rabbi guy that support Robert? Mm-hmm. Did you see what what's going on on Twitter with him and his daughter selling plastic dicks and lubricant? Girl, yes. <laughs> A mess, a fucking I, yeah. I told you he's a fame whore. <laughs> I saw that. I did not like put the mute on. I'm like, what is this? What and I just turned away. That? Is it like some teen pre- pre- pregnancy shit? Prevention shit? <laughs> By the way, I that was calling it holy lubricant and holy. <laughs> I'm like, real. What a fucking joke, man! Why oh, that's so foul. Your campaign to this uh, shit. Maybe he's trying to sink the campaign right now for for Biden for for uh for RFK. Not it's been good, but now they want Biden back so bad that he's taking him with some dildos and lotion. By the way, I thought Aaron Maté was French. I thought oh, Maté. yeah, well, the Maté part is French in the name. Yeah. Nice okay, well, mm. good morning, everybody. All righty. All right, guys. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. All righty. Peace out. Peace. All right. Bye. Bye. Do, do.